seriously, I can barely walk. I can barely walk. All I did, <coughs> excuse me, was go to the gym around the corner from BBC Three Counties Radio. Very exciting. As I walked into the gym, there was a, um, a young man, quite big, effing and jeffing, cursing, using indoor language at the, ti- the tiny woman behind the reception. So yes, I'm home. This is my place. These are my people. Went for a swim. I did 25 lengths. I managed to knock off 25 lengths, but I, I don't know how big the pool was. So that's, let's say, let's say 100 metres. Let's say that. I don't know if that's the case. Don't know what 100 metres looks like, but let's say that. Uh, and had a bit of a sauna, bit of a steam, shower, towel dried. And then today I can hardly walk. What? Am I really old and unfit? If you've got any tips to kind of loosening up a bit, don't say yoga. We were talking about yoga this morning. I always thought yoga was supposed to be very calm and spiritual. And um, I did yoga a few times. It's knackering. I'd rather do a cross-country run than that. Anyway, what I'm saying is I'm feeling the, the strain today. Okay, so just go easy with me. Lots coming up on the show. I'll give out the contact details in a bit because I know that there's lots on this you'll want to have your say on, including... A BBC investigation reveals how many Thames Valley police officers were prosecuted for speeding. Can we broaden this out a bit? Is there ever an excuse for speeding? I'll tell you my speeding stories a bit later on. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm looking for a little bit of honesty from you as well, please. Other things, a bus driver from Hemel Hempstead says he's absolutely sick of the stench of smelly people on his buses his story on this program in the next hour and what is it like to spend years living on half-built estates in beds hearts and bucks when you're still waiting for important services to arrive the bbc3 radio uh, bbc3 counties radio investigates oh dear I've got the station name wrong. That's terrible behaviour. The ways to get in touch, you can go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR, or the best way to get in touch, and look, it's the start of the show. All of the phone lines are free. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. More than 1,000 Thames Valley police cars were caught speeding in the last two years. Only 53 were prosecuted. Following a freedom of information request by the BBC, Thames Valley Police told us in the other 956 cases, the officer driving the car had given a valid reason for speeding. Well, Peter Rogers is the chief examiner of the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Morning, Peter. Good morning to you. What do you make of these figures? They're about what I would expect. Really? Yeah. Um, if you think about the practicalities of, of, of what goes on in, in, in policing, yep. um, there are lots of times when police officers will be travelling quicker than the, the speed limit mm. in order to do their job, but the blue light won't necessarily be on um, because if they're trying to, uh, for example, follow you to see if you've been speeding, yeah. they won't put the blue light on while they're doing that because it sort of destroys the object of doing So can we do. just clear this up once and for all, Peter? Are the police allowed to, to speed when they haven't got their blue light on? Yes. OK, so that's not against the law. OK, no. so they, they might think I might have a stash of cocaine and guns in the boot of my car... I haven't had that for a long time, but they might think that. And so just to follow me and see where I'm going, if I were going above the speed limit, they would legally be allowed to go above the speed limit. Absolutely. Okay. Should, but there are some cases, I would imagine, 53 prosecuted, when the police are speeding 
just because they're in a police car and they feel they can get away with it? Well, presumably in those in in that set of cases, they weren't able to justify what they were doing because the expectation is that they should be able to. Um, so presumably in that set of cases, they weren't able to justify what they were doing. So at that point, they're in the same position as you or I would be. How easy would it be for the police to justify why they're speeding? If they if they get flashed and they get they get picture goes to, ticket goes through to the, the the police station, would it be easy for them to say, oh yeah, no, we were following a drug dealer? Um, it's not that simple, right? If you go off down that path, and, and, and like you follow me for a bit, if you go off down that path, they're going to say, oh, "Well, I was following somebody to see if, if if that car really was that stolen one we'd been talking about mm. earlier." Um, so, where is the record of them doing a computer check on the registration number? Right. So there there would be a, a, an electronic trail or a paper trail of them investigating that car that they could link up with that speeding ticket. In the vast majority of cases, there is going to be some form mm. of trail that you you can follow through. Uh, what kind of advanced training do police officers do in, in terms of driving? Um, well, there's two levels. Right. Um, the, the guys and girls who are driving around doing uh, the, the ordinary work of an ordinary police station, going to domestics and burglaries and, and that kind of stuff, probably driving Vauxhall Astras or, or Ford Focuses or whatever it might be, will have done about three weeks of full-time driver training. Right. Um the chaps driving the BMWs and the Volvos and, and, and the, the people that you tend to think of as traffic cops will have done another four weeks. Wow, OK. That. So that's quite intense. So they, they are um, uh, d- d- they are very well trained. They are completely in control of the vehicles and they are used to driving at higher speeds. Yeah, they've been trained specifically to do those things. Peter, listen, thank you very much for that. That's Peter Rogers, Chief uh, Examiner of the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Th- this morning, I'd like to hear from you. Do you think that there's... And let's... We can talk about the police... I'd also like to widen this out and talk about your experiences as well. Do you think there's ever an excuse for speeding? Uh, You might think there is, depending on what your job is, or what the time of day is, or how well you know the road. Could you give me a call and be honest? When was the last time you were speeding? 08459 455 555. I have had, in my lifetime, nine points on my licence for speeding. I got another ticket through the post, uh, which would have taken me to 12 points... This was a few years ago, uh, which would have taken me to 12 points, which would have meant I'd have lost my licence for a, a time. And I wrote a begging letter to the, the police, the, the traffic police, a real begging letter, saying, I'm really sorry, I'll never do it again, I need the car, because I have to drive my... Mo-. All this, and I, do you know what? It worked. About six months later, I got a letter from them saying, oh, we appear to have lost your uh, details about this speeding um, ticket. Don't do it again. Uh, and, and now I've made kind of uh, resolution is the wrong word because I don't believe in resolutions. But re- I have stopped speeding um, in the recent past. You know, on the motorway, seventy-five, eighty. We've all done it, haven't we? I've stopped it. I now drive completely within the speed limit, a bit lower sometimes, and it's marvellous. That's it's try it because it just takes off that little bit of stress. Suddenly everything becomes a bit easier. Is there ever an excuse? For speeding, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Be honest, you've done it, haven't you? There is not one person listening to this show right now who can drive who hasn't sped in their car, who hasn't broken the speed limit. Talking about speeding, the Mail's got a story on this as well. Speeding menace, doctors and barristers, hospital consultants and barristers are among the most dangerous drivers on the road. 
Both are in a top ten of professions court speeding, which is headed by company operations directors, surgeons and sales directors. Researchers found that speeding motorists are more likely to have big egos, high-powered jobs and expensive cars. Porsche drivers are most likely to be caught driving too fast. Well, you don't say. Uh, the figures were compiled um, by a website. Uh, those in basic cars and low-paid jobs, students and drivers aged 20 to 24 were least likely to have a speeding conviction. Men in their 40s, here we go, are far more likely to speed than any others. Are you a speeder? Be honest about it. We've all, we've all done it, haven't we? If you drive a car, you've broken the speed limit at some point. Some of you by quite a considerable amount. Is there ever an excuse for speeding? Ah, there we go. <laughs> I think I've just stopped a musical crime happening on BBC Three Counties Radio in the next four minutes. So bear with me. Bear with me. Um, as you may have heard on the programme yesterday, there are plans to build more than 175,000 homes in beds, hearts and bucks over the next 20 years. And yet there are already half-built estates across the area. So what's it like to build a new community from scratch and wait for important services to arrive, such as, I don't know, a train station, a church and a shop? Four villages are being created as part of Wixom's just outside Bedford. More than 600 homes have been built and thousands more are on the way. Our uh, reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been speaking to residents who live there. Hi, I'm uh, Mark O'Leary. I've lived in Wixom's for... About two and a half years now. Um, I did really liked it because it was going to be a brand new community, um, like everyone going to be building it together. Uh, we liked the house. Um, we liked what they'd done with the with the lakes and um, like the plan to have parks and stuff like that. We thought it'd be a nice place to raise a family eventually. So you've lived here for um, two two plus years. Um, how has it been during that time living? on a building site in parts because it, a lot of it isn't finished yet and then there's going to be more building work for, for years to come. Um, hasn't been too bad, really. When when we moved in, we had issues with like dirty windows and stuff like that. But apart from that, it hasn't really been too much of an issue. The, the train station was due to be coming to the area in spring 2015. That now looks like it's going to be delayed coming here. How do you feel about that? Was the train station kind of part of your decision to come? Uh, I wouldn't say the train station um, especially was a part of my decision. Um, I think it was the train station with the, with the rest of the facilities that were kind of like promised um, that Gallagher's were going to be providing. The fact that it's delayed doesn't really surprise me because when you're looking at a project that far in advance, it's hard to put down. It's going to be done in summer 2015, so hopefully, yeah, when it will come, it will get used and... Um it will certainly be a lot easier than travelling into Bedford and travelling back from Bedford in rush hour. Hi, I'm Tim Jackson. Uh, I've been appointed to Wixom's as a church minister to establish a Christian church for the community. Part of uh, the role I think I have is about helping us to develop a sense of community in the village. That will get easier when we have uh, a central meeting point of some description. Yeah, we look years down the road to the town centre and, and uh, sort of proper permanent spiritual space. Um, until then, we are promised space uh, and access to the village hall uh, for Lakeview. Um, that has just taken way longer than we anticipated coming on stream. We've had a couple of false starts where we thought things were going to happen more quickly than they, they have. I guess that's part of living on a building site, living in a new development. Things, however well made the plans are, they don't always you know, stick exactly to the, the anticipated time. Um, we have to be flexible, and that's uh, really at the heart of, I think, everything we do. I'm in part of the village where the building work is fit, pretty much finished, so it feels established now. 
um, having got things like the shops open, you know, so we, we finally have somewhere to go, um, which is kind of good. The longer we stay, the better it will be as, as more and more comes on stream. Again, it's that balance between the developers wanting houses built and also having the, the usual sort of community facilities that we expect, you know, churches, shops, and all that kind of stuff that we wait for and, and helps to make a, a genuine community. Jessica Cooper reporting there. And later on in the programme, we'll be hearing from residents about why they chose a new build rather than an older home. 08459 455 555. Talking about speeding. A thousand police in Thames Valley have been caught speeding. Only 53 or something like that have, uh, have been prosecuted. And I'm asking, is it ever acceptable to speed? Um, on the text, 81333. Start the text 3CR. I'm a London taxi driver, but living in Cambridge. I used to have foot down all the time, time travelling to and from work, but since fuel price went up, I six to six, stick to 60 on the motorway. It's cheaper, isn't it? Of course. There's the obvious thing. You cut down from 85 to 65, 70, you're saving a few quid. Can someone do the maths, please, and tell me exactly how much I'd be saving? 08459 455 555. When was the last time you went above the speed limit in your car. I bet it was yesterday. If you were driving yesterday, I bet it was then, wasn't it? Seriously, if you don't love rumours, the album by Fleetwood Mac, not the, the concept, then I don't want to know you. You're not a person I want in my life. Trust me, I used to hate it. I used to hate it. And then I properly listened to it and knew the stories behind it. It's a really horrible song about Stevie Nicks. Imagine being in a band where your ex-boyfriend writes a really horrible song about you, but it's your biggest hit, so you have to play it again and again and again. How cruel is that? Front page of the newspapers, The Guardian. Clegg joins protests over Shirker's tag. Nick Clegg's got his own radio show. Do you know this? He's got his own radio show on a London-based broadcasting station. Um, And then there's a picture. Fashion Week thinks outside the box. Fashion Week is for idiots. Look at the picture on the front page of The Guardian. A model sports a Craig Green design at London Fashion Week's Man Show, a joint initiative between top man and fashionist. What an idiot! He looks ridiculous. He's basically, someone's got a, a box, smashed it up and put it on this bloke's head. He looks ridiculous. Fashion student. I'm not being... Right, OK. Fashion students. There is no need for them. Let's just get rid of... Let's just send them... Look at that! Look at that! What, 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 you design that... Who is this? Craig Green. Craig Green is now my nemesis. He's my nemesis for making a man walk down the catwalk wearing a broken box on his head. It's ridiculous. Look, I'm so angry about fashion week, I can't tell you about the rest of the newspapers. It's Craig Green's fault. Send an email to craig.green at, I don't know, yahoo.co.uk? I don't know. Hopefully there's not, there's not a Craig Green who's got that email address. I'll be in terrible, terrible trouble. Let's all send him nice things, shall we? Right. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. I'll do the rest of the front pages in a bit, I promise. Although I've noticed they're all about this blooming fashion show, so it's going to take me an hour to get through them as I slag off every single thing that's on the front page. But coming up in the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to hear from a Hertfordshire bus driver who's absolutely sick of the smell of, yeah, his stinky passengers. You. You he's talking about. This morning I want to hear from you. Which is the smelliest bus route in Beds, Hearts and Bucks? I'm a big fan of buses. I love buses. and It's my preferred mode of transport, OK? But they do stink. Sometimes they stink of, like, um, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and those Dixieland Chicken and all those things. Sometimes the people smell. Sometimes they smell of wee-wee. 
Who would do a wee-wee on a bus? What? What? What thinking? What, what process of thinking does someone go through where they go, yeah, I'm on a bus, I need a wee. I know what, I'll just do it on the bus. What? Why would anyone do that? Can we find the stinkiest bus route uh, in beds, hearts and bucks? 08459 455 555. And do you remember, uh, on Friday... We, dis- we were talking about whether you should leave your babies to cry or not. And we heard from Carly Smith. Uh, she runs a mum's um, on, on magazine, I think she does. And she's got an 18-month-old called Ada. And Ada was still sleeping in Carly's room. And they were having trouble. And she's going to try and do this controlled crying thing. I gave her some excellent tips. I'm excellent with babies. I gave some excellent tips. I did. I gave excellent tips. There's no denying it. Go and listen on the iPlayer. Well, we'll find out in about 20 minutes or so whether she listened to my excellent tips and followed that advice or whether she weakened and cracked. Man, come on. I love Elvis. I don't like 50s Elvis. Oh, yeah, 50s Elvis. Heartbreak Hotel. No, boring. Boring. Too much reverb on the vocals. 60s Elvis, we all know, was a joke. 68 to 74. That was when he was at his peak. Man, some of those songs, wonderful, wonderful. Now, I need your help today, dear listener. A a, a very serious question, and only you can help me. What is the smelliest bus route in the Three Counties region? The reason we're discussing this is one bus driver from Hertfordshire has told this show, and this this is an exclusive, by the way. No, no other radio station has got this. Only us, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. He says, quote, he, hold, he holds his breath most of his, most of his working day, unquote, due to the smells he has to endure while at work. Stinky people. He's talking about you. Well, a man who smells as, as fresh as a daisy is Justin Dealey. Good morning, Justin. Yeah, I'm smelling good this morning. You Ian. always. Yeah, when you walked baby. into the office this morning, yeah. Justin, yeah. part of my, hel- uh, my heart melted. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, you're at a bus stop in Hemel now, aren't you? Yes, uh, Ian, I have to say, I thought this was a wind-up at first, but clearly it's not a wind-up. No, I've been serious. talking to uh, a bus driver who wishes to be known as Andrew. Now, he says... Is that his name? Uh, well, yes, okay, pretty, much, pretty, much, okay. pretty much. Pretty much, pretty much. Almost, almost. Um, he says... This smell problem has been going on for years, and quite simply, he's had enough. There is only so much a man can take. Now, just to warn you as well, what you're about to hear is fairly graphic. It will be highly offensive to some people as well. I met Andrew earlier, and I asked him to describe the smell on the buses that he drives, and this is what he said. Let's have a listen. Um, Well, the majority of it it is urine, bodily fluids. Some of them smell like old carpets. <laughs> this is pretty graphic. What you're saying? <laughs> it is, yeah. But obviously, we, we we're not supposed to say anything because yeah. you know we don't want to go around upsetting people. It's, it can be a nightmare. When you say it's a nightmare, that. have you actually said to somebody, "Excuse me, but but you do smell. Can you do something about this?" Yeah, there was a, as a chap that um, got on at Watford once last year, and it was about June, July time. It was quite a warm day. And when he actually got to me to buy his ticket, it, the smell hit me like a brick wall. Um, and it, it literally took my breath away. And I said, I'm, look, I'm really sorry, sir, but I can't take it because... I, smell. I, th- I th- Yeah, well, I, d- I didn't say that to him straight away. I said to him, I think you're, a, you're personally offensive. And he, he said to me, what do you mean? And I said, well... Um, you're going to sit on seats where other people are going to be sitting and I think that it wouldn't be fair to other passengers. I said, I think you should go and get yourself cleaned up, basically. And he got off the bus. I was expecting lots of abuse, but he just turned around and got off the bus. And you didn't feel bad for doing that? You felt like you were doing him and the customers a favour? I felt a little bit embarrassed for him. Um, 
but I did once I cleared the air I thought you know I'm glad I said it sort of thing you know yeah. clear the air nice pun yeah. there so are you close to quitting your job because it's getting that bad no no not at all it's part of the job you know we're dealing with people every day enclosed environments um, it's the sort of thing you have to put up with you say enclosed can't you open the windows wouldn't that help no because when you open the windows they shut them again people don't like fresh air on buses <laughs> so you tried that and that clearly hasn't worked no that doesn't work at all <laughs> what's the smelliest route I would say that the route between Watford and Aylesbury and um, probably Hemel to Rickmansworth because they're quite long routes I mean, what you're saying is quite outrageous, but I suppose some would say, fair play to you, because you're coming out and you're actually saying this. Other drivers know about this problem, they're just not talking about it. Exactly, yeah. Most of them are too frightened to say anything, but I'm afraid I I can't hold my tongue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I sort of try and say how it is, and um, that's how I am. Okay, so what's your message to anybody who's going to be using a bus today? What's your message to them? Please, please stand closer to the soap. There's no excuse to smell. No. Okay. Now, clearly you're a man of high standards. I've got my deodorant here. Have a little whiff of this. Is that good? That's wonderful. (laughs) If only your job was like that, day in, day out, with that smell. Could I take that with me? (laughs) And give it to your passengers? Yes. Okay. I mean, clearly we're having a bit of a laugh about this, but there is a serious side to it as well. Um, Hopefully the situation will improve. Thank you very much indeed for your time. No problem. Justin, I can't believe he told that fella... He was personally offensive. I know. I mean, that poor bloke just then slinks off the bus <laughs> thinking he's a stinker. <laughs> I mean, Andrew's a broken man, though. You can just tell, can't you, by that, that deep pause. Ah, yeah, you know, I, I said, can we open the windows? People don't like fresh air on buses. And they I've don't. never known anybody who smelt like an old carpet. But no. we may find them this morning. You never know. Have you ever worked with someone, Justin, or had a friend who stinks? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And did you... Uh, uh, it's not me, is it? I haven't quite had that conversation with you yet, have I? Because <laughs> I, I worked at uh, another radio station, and there was a guy there that had a terrible uh, BO problem. It was awful. And, you you know, he would leave the room, and people would get the air fresheners out. And we all discussed it. We all knew about it. And we delegated someone to have that conversation with him. It's a tough one. You see, that's an individual problem. I think what Andrew's saying is here, and again, he couldn't really put an age on this. He couldn't say it's young people, it's older people. He was saying... It's everyone. ...that absolutely everyone, (laughs) day in, day out, who gets on these buses, they smell, and there can be no excuse for that. He's saying that soap is cheap, deodorant, go and buy some. There can be no excuse to smell. Why would you want to smell like that? You've been at the bus stop for a while now. Have you smelt any stinky people? Well, I'm about to get on the bus at 7.06. Okay. was saying there that uh, the Hemel to Rickmansworth route is, route is particularly bad. Well, I've actually been looking at a bus timetable for the first time in a long time. Wowzers. Uh My bus is due to go at six minutes past seven. Lovely. Hopefully that will turn up on time. It's going to be quite an embarrassing conversation. Good morning, sir. Good morning, madam. Do you smell? <laughs> yes, no. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yes, we're the BBC. Thank you. Oh, you get all the glamorous jobs. Yes, Justin, we'll speak to you later on. Thank you for that, mate. Thanks, Ian. There we go, Justin Dealey. Excellent stuff. So, it does kind of raise two questions, I think. The first one is, can we find the smelliest bus route in the three counties maybe you get a bus to work or to school or to the shops and you kind of dread going on because you know it's gonna stink of all kinds of horrible things so 08459 455 555 the stinkiest bus route in the three counties and i guess the second point here is Have you ever had to tell someone you work with, or a friend, or a colleague, or a family member, that they smell? Because it 
it's not a good conversation to have, I'd imagine. I've never done it. Uh, but you, you, you're doing it. You're doing them a favour, ultimately, aren't you? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Two things: the smelliest bus route in the three counties. Please, can we find it? Can we name and shame and see if we can get something done about it? And the second thing is: have you ever had to tell someone that they smell? How did you do it? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Should we have a quick look at the front pages of the rest of the newspapers? We got, we got stuck on the front page of The Guardian. I'm going back to it. I'm picking up The Guardian again. I can't believe it. There's a man wearing a box on his head. London Fashion Week. Ah. Oh. Craig Green has designed an outfit with a man wearing a box on his head. Seriously, fashion students. I did a Mickey Mouse degree. I did performing arts. But that's more vital than fashion students. Fashion students, the independent. More pictures from the London Fashion Show. Uh, Men's Fashion Week. This time because Ronnie Wood is there with his, um, his bride, who is like 40 years younger than he is. They're sat next to Tiny Temper. Um, and then uh, the independent also says, from Oogie to Aqua Zumba, how to get fit the hard way in 2013. Oogie, there's a new thing. What's Oogie? Oogie, Oogie. Does anyone know what Oogie is? Oogie. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. It's a thing, apparently. Oogie, Oogie. Someone tell me what that n- nonsense is. The Daily Telegraph. Oh, for goodness sakes. Men's Fashion Week. So they've got an old boy dressed up like... I don't know. I don't even know how you describe that. Some sort of. It looks like he's from a post-apocalyptic world. What on earth does that man look like? Looks ridiculous. Don't you? I'll keep. To, I can. I'll talk until nine o'clock. The country gent of a certain age is the height of fashion, provided he com- combines clashing tweeds with a gilet body warmer in my day and a yellow beret. Oh, for goodness' sakes! Can I just say, sir, you look ridiculous. You look ridiculous. Full-time mothers are being penalised. It's also on the Telegraph. They won't get tax break to pay for care, but are still losing child benefits as MPs. And doctors ask judge to order an abortion. Wow. Doctors are applying for a court order to allow them to carry out an abortion on a mentally disabled woman without her consent. The woman, who is not being named for legal reasons, suffers from sickle cell disease, which has already caused her to have a string of strokes. The medical team treating her say they're concerned that allowing her pregnancy to continue any further could endanger her life. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, let's have a look. The Times, it's uh, Ronnie Wood and uh, his young wife uh, at the fashion show. Volunteers for job cuts put army in disarray. Downing Street was accused of playing politics with soldiers' jobs last night as commanders voice fears that thousands of army redundancies were leaving critical roles, uh, roles unfilled. The Daily Express, oh, they've got a picture of Princess Diana on the front. They've not done that for a while, have they? How blood pressure drug beats dementia. Oh. The Express, every day, they're curing dementia or um, cancer or uh, 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 dementia. Every day. Yesterday, it was a tomato, wasn't it? I think a tomato pill. Today, a simple drug already taken by millions to treat high blood pressure may be the key to beating dementia, including Alzheimer's. Uh, The Daily Mail. Gas boss forced out with a golden goodbye. This is great. Look, as families face ever-rising bills, Energy Chief is walking away with up to thirteen million pounds. Yeah, and I, I think my last gas bill has paid pretty much most of that bonus. Um, and the Sun, 
the pop star splits up with another pop star. It's a, it's a boy pop star, the one with the tattoos, who split up with a lady pop star who I think is an American. Does that help at all? Good. Right, it's nice that Gabrielle Atlin. But. And there is a but. I'm a little bit bored of um, people taking old pop songs and slowing them down. It started about ten years ago when that American gentleman did um, a version of Mad World by Tears for Fears. He did it for the Donnie Darko film, and it was great, and it was lovely, it was beautiful. And then everyone started doing it. There was a version, there was a woman did a Nirvana song slowed down. It's like, we get the idea, you've, you've, you've taken a song that's a little bit faster, and you've slowed it down a lot, so we can get the real emotion of the song. We, I get the point. OK, we're talking about speeding, primarily police speeding. Uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Trudy Wren says, I thought police officers had to be squeaky clean. I do hope the 53 prosecuted lost their jobs. Unless they're performing their duty, there is never an excuse for speeding. Well, I, I think maybe losing their jobs is perhaps a little bit, uh, a little bit extreme. I don't know. When was the last time you speeded? Speeded? Sped? What is it? Speeded or sped? I don't know. I've literally no idea. Phone the pronunciation department. By the way, when I say we've all sped stroke speeded, I don't know what the correct term is. If someone could phone me up, 08459 455 555 and tell me, I'd be grateful. I'm not condoning it. I'm not condoning it. This isn't a, hey everybody, go out there and break the law. But we've all done it. All drivers do it. I cannot believe there is a driver listening to this show who has not sped or speeded. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Catherine Boyle, well, you missed something out of the headlines, that Twitter has gone af- aflame and is almost melting down. Do you know why? Tell me, tell me. David Bowie has posted a brand new song on Twitter. I know. Well, uh, I, don't, I don't get David Bowie. I don't really either. Thanks. She feigned excitement, though, didn't she? She was good at feigning excitement. Twitter's gone crazy. Calm down, Twitter. It's only David Bowie. It's only David Bowie. It's no one special. It's not like the monkeys have, have said they're going to record a new album. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, just after seven. Tuesday morning. Lots coming up. And as always, your input is greatly uh, appreciated. A BBC investigation has revealed how many Thames Valley police officers were prosecuted for speeding. Do you think there's ever an excuse for speeding? And when did you do it? You've all done it. There will be no one listening to this show who has never gone over the speed limit. As you heard there with Catherine, a bus driver from Hemel Hempstead has told this show he is absolutely sick of the stench of smelly people on his buses. Reporter Justin Daly is trying to find the smelliest bus route in the three counties. Can you point him in the right direction, please? And which is best, a new or an old house? We'll find out whether first-time buyers have much choice in the matter. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Always good to go on there. And you can have a little, a little argument with the other listeners. Be nice, don't be rude, but you can be feisty. It's good fun. Um, you can text as well if you want. 81333. Start your text, 3CR. The best way, and look, all the lines are clear right now, is to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
More than 1,000 Thames Valley police cars were caught speeding in the last two years, but only 53 were prosecuted. Following a freedom of information request by the BBC, Thames Valley police told us in the other 956 cases, the officer driving the car had given a valid reason for speeding. Well, Luke Campelli uh, is from Bet- Mid-Bedfordshire. He has had personal experience of bad police driving. Morning, Luke. Hello there. Uh, Luke, what, what, what was your story? Tell me what happened. Uh, what happened was early one morning, um, a police car was tearing down the road that we live on. Um, we're an isolated cottage. There's no adjoining properties. Mm. Uh, with a bend about, say, 100 yards to our right. They came round it and uh, embedded themselves in our house, basically. Um, they did what? They, sorry, they did what? They embedded the car into our house. Flip um, I reckon they probably managed to do about 100, 120 feet between the period of leaving the road. Wow. Demolishing a telegraph pole, uh, going through the orchard, demolishing fruit trees, going to the other side of the orchard, going through a wooden fence crossing a fairly wide drive and ending up embedded in the house. So what part of the house did they hit, Luke? They hit... It's a a cottage. It's it's a corner. Right. um, Brick-built. And the car actually ended up sort of lengthways off the house, if you see what I mean. And did they do any damage to the house? Or had they slow... Had the the orchard and the fences and the walls... The damage was... Horrendous. Really? Yes. What, what, what was it? What was the damage? Well, I mean, indoors, for example, there were ceilings caving in, which had to be supported with steel outcrows oh, and the like, dear. Uh, to make it habitable. Uh, it happened in early September, and the repair work was complete the week before Christmas. Oh, Luke! That will give you some idea of the extent of the damage. How? Who do you, do you live there on your own? Have you got family there? No, I mean, my wife. Lives okay. There. How did that make you both feel? Fortunately, we were away that week. Right. So we we did hear them on the same day. Right. And we corresponded with yourselves and other people via the internet and mm. that type of thing. Um, when you came home and saw it, was it worse than you thought? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it made their whole drive completely uh, inaccessible because of the machinery that had to be used to repair everything um, and that type of thing. And what did... Um did the police apologise? Did they? Did the officers who were in the crash come and say anything to you? Came about three weeks after we oh, returned. That's nice of them. Um, to say that the cause was a truck which had veered into their carriage, so the police car had to avoid hitting the truck and came off the road, basically. And what were they doing? What were the police doing to, to be going so fast? Well, allegedly, they were going to an emergency where business premises and alarm had gone off and they were scared that there was some type of break-in. That, I'm not certain, is the truth, but that's what we were told. And did the copper... The I cop- asked... Go on, Luke, sorry. On, on advice, I asked for... Um, a report of the police inquiry that subsequently took place to which you were entitled mm. uh, for a fee, obviously. Of course. But it was made um, known to us in no uncertain terms that we wouldn't, of course, see all of the report. And, look, did the, the driver that was, was, was in the police car at the there time... two of them in there. Right. Did, did either of those gentlemen come and apologise or send you a letter or no, phone you up? No. No? Incredible. Well, look, I'm amazed they weren't. They 
was no fatality, to be quite frank. Well, Luke, listen, thank you very much, Luke Campelli from Mid-Bedfordshire. That's incredible, isn't it? Imagine coming back from holiday and say, sorry, there's a police car stuck in our house. Well, Ellen Booth is the uh, senior campaigns officer at Break, the road safety charity. Morning, Ellen. Good morning. People might say with these figures of of only a thousand uh, Thames Valley police cars being caught speeding in the last two years, only 53 prosecuted. Mm. People might think it's one rule for the police and another rule for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really important um, that the police service as a whole does get this right. Um, There are occasions where it may be necessary for a trained police driver to break speed limits if they're responding to a life and death situation where seconds literally count. But there is a balance that always has to be made. Um, And certainly um, in these instances where a driver was prosecuted, um, you know, it's certainly the case that that's completely unacceptable. um, Because... Um, you know, as a police officer, you have to uh, set the highest standards for yourself, um, but certainly as the service overall, or, or as a service overall, it's vital that we are doing more, or the police are doing more, to make sure that they have the right policies in place to ensure that um, police drivers aren't breaking speed limits unless they're responding to a life and death situation. Do you think we all look up to the police and, uh, you know, we, we, well, we don't all, but uh, we, we kind of should, they should yeah. be setting an example. Do you think that the penalties for police speeding should be perhaps tougher? I think it's certainly really important that the police service has procedures in place to deal with police officers who are breaking the law because let's remember they are police officers they have to set a good example um so um certainly there needs to be internal disciplinary procedures in place um as well as the traditional three points um etc and a fine um, you do need to make sure that um, you also have the training and education in place so the police officers understand their responsibility um, when they're in a police vehicle um, and when they're responding to emergencies. 956 cases over the two years that the police had were able to give a valid reason for speeding. Do you think it's maybe too easy for the police to explain why they were speeding? Mm, I think it's, it's, you've got to be really, really careful when you come to this, but it does seem or from from break's perspective we do believe that more could be done to clarify the kinds of situations where it is okay for police to speed um, to make sure that traffic oh, sorry to make sure that police officers are giving really really good training on how to weigh up the benefits um, and the negatives of speeding so they can make a really balanced and good decision um, certainly i think you know, it is the case that we still have um, a number of people killed every year in crashes um, caused by speeding police officers. So what we do need to do is make sure that the balance is right. At the moment, the balance isn't quite right. So we do need to be working with the Association of Police Officers, Chief Police Officers um, and others to make sure that we have got that right balance. Are there uh, any situations, Alan, when you think it's acceptable for people to speed? Because everybody does it, don't they? Certainly, if you are a um, non-police driver, if you're a normal um, member of the public who's driving, there's never a a reason for you to speed. Um, And that needs to be absolutely clear. We know from ample research that there is a very clear relationship between um, 
breaking speed limits or even driving too fast for conditions um, and crashing and causing uh, death and serious injury. So there's a very clear relationship there. Um, so speeding isn't just... Uh, uh, an antisocial thing to do it's very much um, a dangerous life-threatening thing to do and that's the message that we do need to be getting across to everybody Ellen Booth from Break, thank you very much for your, for your time 08459 455 555 it, it makes sense what she says doesn't it but you've speeded stroke sped I don't know the word haven't you if you're a driver, you, I, I cannot believe that there, is, that there are people listening to this show who drive who have not broken the speed limit we've all done it We've all done it. I'm being, the, the last few weeks, I'm being really careful to go quite significantly below the speed limit. And I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying that change of pace, actually. I find it quite healthy. Um, but we've all done it on the motorways. Go, go, that bit of road that you drive on at five o'clock in the evening when you know it's going to be completely empty. You go a little bit faster than you, you, you meant to, don't you? Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Is there anybody out there who's never driven above the speed limit? And when is, do you think it's acceptable to speed? Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Now, we've been talking about the new housing developments which are springing up across beds, hearts and bucks. And there are going to be more. Over the next 20 years, a total of more than 175,000 homes are set to be built in the three counties. But does that mean most first-time buyers have to go for a new property, or is there still the choice to buy an older home? And if you had the choice, which would you go for, old or new? Well, people living on the new development at the Wixoms in Bedfordshire have been giving us their views. I've always lived in old properties, and I've always had that feeling that old properties are very romantic and they have lots of character. They also have lots of needs of repairs, and they're cold. And it doesn't matter how much heat one puts into them, the structure of the house is such that it leaches out. In this new house, I walked in and I thought, this is a new build house. And then I thought, it's warm. <laughs> it's neat. It's easy to keep clean. It's wonderful. <laughs> and I'm a total convert. Total convert. It is, it's just a delight to be there for me. You don't have to worry about bathrooms, kitchens, because they're all new. So it's a bit more security, really. And when you move into an old house, anything can go wrong, really. So you would always choose new over old, would you? Um, yeah, at this stage, perhaps if I was to win the lottery and have a lot of money, I'd move into a big old house and do it up. But, yeah, a uh, new house at the minute, yeah. Now in the studio with me is Hertfordshire estate agent Tim Gerrard from Gibbs Gillespie. Mo- Gillespie. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Ian. What's the most popular, old or new? They're both very popular, Ian. Um, what we're finding is... If you just come a little bit closer, Tim, that's perfect. Thank you. What we're finding is period property has um, a captive audience, people will go for period because they like the character, they like the feel of it. Mm. Also, new build has the advantage of all mod cons ready to move into um, 10, eight, 10 year guarantee, whether it's NHBC or Zurich warranty. And importantly, on a new build, it's there to be bought. There's no ongoing chain. Mm. And that's part of the problem at the moment. Um, in the conversation we had before we came on air, mm. the, prob- the, the property which is least popular tends to be that from the 1970s. So if That's you look the house I'm her, buying. That's where I'm going. I'm going back you, to the 70s. You tend to get more space for your money because mm. architecturally they're less popular. They're, they don't look the part. They're, they're, they're not in character. Um, modern houses built today very much have a, um, 
a kind of Georgian or Victorian feel injected into them mm. when they're built, whereas the 70s neo-colonial-style houses don't tend to have that, and therefore, quite simply, you will get a lot more property for your money if you buy a 1970s. My mum always told me, I don't know if this is, is, this is still true, that, that um, never buy a new build because it, you, it, the house hasn't had time to settle, all the snags haven't been sorted. If, you've got, if you're buying a house that's 30 years old or 100 years old, the owners can say, right, we have a little bit of problem with the, the plumbing here. You know what the problems are with the house. With a new house... You're not quite so sure. That was possibly true at the time that your parents were buying a property back in the 1970s, mm. we alluded to before. Um, 1970s was a time of kind of low standards in this country. We have to look at the, the films we made in the 70s, the cars we drove, and the clothes we wore, and even the music we listened to. Uh, sorry, Noddy Holder. But the it was a horrible was, decade for horrible everything. Decade. The result, of course, was that, yes, the, the, the standards of construction during the 70s were low. Everyone knows that. And over the years, it's improved in the 70s, for the 80s, the 90s. And now, if you're buying a brand new house today, mm. you don't expect it to move. It's built to very high specifications. It's very tightly controlled during it's being built. And you will get something in there which has everything you could possibly want for the modern lifestyle. Mm. When you buy an older property, if it hasn't been touched for many years, you're going to have to retrofit everything from central heating and wiring and plumbing. Remember, in the Victorian times, they didn't have a bathroom, let alone plumbing or something. Dirty heating. Victorians, they're filthy. Well, not really. It's just, it's just in that those technologies didn't exist in yep. the house. So everything's been put in post-event. Now, if you go and buy a brand new house today, it is quite simply ready to live in for the modern style. The PowerPoint's in the right place. Mm. The TV points are in the right place. And it has enough PowerPoints... If you think about properties even from a few years ago, they didn't, people didn't use as many electronic items. Mm. There were not enough PowerPoints, and you see leads all over the place. Yes. Whereas a modern house now is designed for the modern lifestyle. But they're smaller modern houses, aren't they? Just because they have to, you know, they have to not, build more and fill up. Not true. Not really? Not true at all. It, it is a, an assumption that they, you know, modern houses will be smaller, but that, that's far from the truth. If you look at some houses built, especially in the urban environment, because my office is in Rickmansworth, a lot of the houses in the high street, the period properties of Victorian cottages, mm. they're very, very small in their dimensions, whereas the more modern houses that have been built over the last few years on the periphery of town are simply much larger. Also, at the time that a lot of houses were built during the 20s, when there's a, you know, the metropolitan development after the First World War, timber was in short supply and the rooms were smaller. Now, modern houses, they don't have those kind of uh, restrictions, so room proportions can be larger. So it's a misconception really is in how good at you are ch uh, changing people's minds because when you know we've, we we say we've just been through this whole process of trying to find a house and we've been very specific about what we want and they we, you know they say do you want a new build do you want an old build what, what kind of period do people come in to you and say tim i want i want an old house but then you manage to change their mind by showing very them very often in really often. the simple fact is that when somebody is looking to buy a property the first thing they need to do is establish exactly how much they're going to spend mm. the first thing is to sit down with your financial advisor with your bank manager whoever you're going to be using and establish exactly how much you're going to spend having established that the second thing that somebody will work out is exactly where they want to be the old adage location 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 is absolutely primarily important so you've decided where you want to live you decide how much you've got to spend. Mm. And then, I'm afraid, it's, an, it's need. If, like yourself, you've got a couple of children, as I have as well, mm. you need a certain number of bedrooms, you might be focused on a house, and then those things like age and garden size mm. will be the thing you'll compromise on. So you're going for location, the school's catchment areas, you're going because... Oh, the school's catchment areas. Yeah, exactly, don't, good, nice, oh. quiet road, wh whatever the thing may be. And you will sometimes buy a house as... My previous house, like yours, 
built in the 1970s because it gave me great accommodation and mm. great location albeit not quite the decorative you know the kind of architectural style i wanted but it gave me the right accommodation Obviously, subsequently a few years down the line we've moved on since then yep. i've got a house with a bit more character and larger garden you know, so <laughs> our new house has got pillars out the front they look Fantastic. ridiculous they look what a <laughs> 70s thing these hor- they're going straight away they're the first thing to go we've been talking this week about the pressures on housing mm. and, and targets which councils uh, are drawing up to build new properties it means, doesn't it, inevitably, that new houses are going to be built on green belt land. I think, and ultimately, we will have to look at that situation, yes. Um, when that will happen, no one knows. Part of us, we know in our heart of hearts that there is not enough houses being built to meet, firstly, the, the growing population, but also the lifestyle demands of people these days. Go back 100 years ago, then families would live in several generations of the same house now as soon as you know as soon as you finish a university the aspiration is to go and own your own home mm. we need more property being built but on the other side of things by restricting the supply of new houses being built in the green belt it is keeping prices high and mm. our perceived wealth as a nation is in the amount of equity we have in our property so it's a catch-22 situation Ian. firstly yes we know there's more, we need more houses but also if we don't build too many the value of our properties that we own will be higher. We heard earlier on from people living in uh, in Wix, New, uh, Wixoms, um, and they're still waiting for services. They're still waiting for a train mm. and a church and, mm. and shops and things like that. That's got to be a problem, isn't it? And I thought so, Ian, but from my personal experience, the houses that I'm selling, new-built new, new built houses that I'm selling, mm. they're in established locations. We're just um, about to launch in February the final phase of development in, in Croxley Green for Howarth Homes. And those houses are in a superb location with all the services applied that is why the first two phases have sold almost immediately because they're on the spot they're in a school catchment area they're near they're near everything mm. they're, they're, they're a good purchase whereas some of the um greenfield sites further away from town centers further away from services are poorly supplied until the infrastructure catches up mm. housing market 2013 how's it looking is is it picking up well, for the first time, actually, in, you, you mentioned it, the first time in about six years, the Land Registry are suggesting price stability and increases during 2013. Mm. 2012, the number of transactions in the UK was down by 21% over the previous year to an all-time kind of low. Mm. Um, that had a result that prices, therefore, I think, hit, hit, the, hit the bottom, as it were, as a country. But, of course, in our area... Um, it's a bit more optimistic and prices have been stable or a small increase now for a couple of years and during 2013 i think there's going to be a little bit more optimism in the market in this area here's here's something years this is going completely off topic not completely but a little bit (laughs) Uh, 10 years ago when i was looking to buy my 12 years ago looking to buy my first flat okay and i was uh, was with a girl at the time and we were going around looking at all these flats and i went to look at one flat that was about four miles from where i was living at the time Completely different street, completely different number. I went in, and there on the table was a letter addressed to me. Mm. It had my address, my name. I opened it. It was a cheque for me for quite a bit of money. That was, that's weird, isn't it? That's very Has that bizarre. ever happened to you before? No, never. How insane is it? I've just remembered that. I remember walking mm. into this house and going, 
that's that's a letter for me and the estate agent being a little bit well i don't know if you should i said i'm taking it and it was a paycheck really yes it's odd we didn't buy that flat the the estate agent thought it was an omen and we were going to buy it it was a horrible flat so we said Mm. no tim thank you very much for coming in it's very nice to see you it's uh uh, it's an absolute pleasure tim gerard from gibbs uh, gillespie 08459 455 555 is the telephone number give us a call and we'll speak to you in a second across beds hearts and bucks this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We're looking for the smelliest bus route in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. It's true that I walked into a house that we were looking to buy, different number, different street, there was a letter addressed to me. How does that happen? It was a paycheck as well. The smelliest bus route in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Ben has um, uh, emailed him, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. The 32 bus, Buckingham to Milton Keynes, can at times be interesting as you get a whole range of smells from BO, people breaking wind, bad breath and cheap perfume. Ben, isn't there... I think only gentlemen will get this. There's something quite um, exciting about the smell of cheap perfume. There's something... Erotic. There is. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like remembering, uh, you know, girlfriends when you were younger. I don't know. But there's something exciting about the smell of cheap perfume. What? There's a line from a song, cheap perfume. That's why I'm saying it in that way. If anyone knows what, what that song is, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Uh, and on the subject of speeding, eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. George from Wing says, my elderly father drives so slowly it's tedious. I hate being a passenger with him as it's scary and embarrassing. And I always feel sorry for the cars behind. But he still managed to get three points on his licence for doing 33 in a 30 miles per hour speed limit. Oh, no, bless him. Poor old thing. There is a thing about driving too slowly, isn't there? That, can, I think, can be just as dangerous as driving too fast. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next half an hour, a bus driver from Hemel Hempstead says he's absolutely sick of the stench of the smelly people that ride his bus. Where is the smelliest bus route in the three counties? We've sent our reporter, Justin Dealey, out to try and discover the answer to that question. If you can let us know yourself, 08459 555 555. And MPs are to vote on a controversial government plan to cut, uh, to put a 1% cap on annual rises in working age benefits. We'll find out why and what it might mean for you. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR 81333. Start your text 3CR or give us a call 08459 455 555. Network Rail has announced this morning train services between Oxford and Bedford are set to be brought back into use as part of the uh, the plan. The line between Ble- oh sorry, as part of the plan, the line between Bletchley and Oxford will also be reopened. It's part of a thirteen billion pound spend on new projects between twenty fourteen and twenty nineteen in what David Cameron has called the biggest modernisation of the rail network since the Victorian era. Well, Tony Miles is from Modern Railways magazine. Morning, Tony. Good morning. Is is Cameron right? This is the, the biggest modernisation of the rail network? Well, it's, it is a very big one. I think it depends how you play with numbers as to exactly um, whether it's as big as the Victorian era, but it's, it's certainly um, a recognition by the government that the railways are going to play an important part going forward, and uh, investment's a, a good thing at the moment. Why do you think Network Rail has made this decision? Well, uh, I, th- I think partly 
the, the route is is there already in uh, this this particular one uh, there's, there's disused track and bits and pieces that need rebuilding but essentially it's not like they've got to start bulldozing any tract of land or anything like that so it's it's reopening a railway that's that's almost there already which which is great because it's a much cheaper project they've they've proved that there's a demand uh, for that uh, the, the journey already and uh, not only for passengers but also it offers a, a different uh, freight link and uh, part of the the spending plans that have been announced today by network rail is to try and get even more freight off the roads and onto the railway is there a demand for it tony because it, it, it must have closed down for a reason <laughs> well there were a lot of odd decisions back in the in the days where which they refer to as the beaching cuts when a lot of lines were closed uh, over the years there were some very odd ones where you look at it now and there are railways that really ought to be there that aren't and there were some very odd ones around the country that um, nobody quite understands why they survived so sometimes it was um, i think the word marginal con- constituency mm. popped up so perhaps at the time there wasn't the right support or um, it was seen as something that could easily be replaced by buses and that there was quite an enthusiasm many years ago for a lot of rural stuff and uh, um, sort of regional stuff to, to go into buses but then people thought actually we we prefer traveling by train mm. and it's not just the faster journey times and and it's not a bus but it is the ability to put freight and things on as well that's that's very important now any idea how, how much this this stretch between Ox- oxford and bedford could cost uh not off the top of my head no um i haven't got the figures in front of me but um as i say because most of the land is there it's, it's not one of those mm. massive projects where, where they've got to start buying houses off people and, and, and bulldozing things. So hopefully um, it, it's going to be one that can be done reasonably quickly and reasonably efficiently. Um, and um, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting link. You better go from Oxford to Cambridge. There's an interesting one for the universities as well. Exactly. Tony Miles from Modern Railways magazine. Thank you very much. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. What's the smelliest bus route in the three counties? Andrew, a bus driver in Hemel, came to us begging to put the message out there to you bus users to have a wash before you get on the bus, you stinky people. He told Justin Dealey about what the passengers smelled like. Be warned, this does contain graphic imagery. Some of them smelt like old carpets, bodily fluids. <laughs> this is pretty graphic, what you're saying. <laughs> it is, yeah. But obviously, we, we, we're not supposed to say anything because, yeah. you know, we don't want to go around upsetting people. It's, it can be a nightmare. I mean, you say it's a nightmare. That. Have you actually said to somebody, excuse me, but, but you do smell? Can you do something about this? Yeah, there was a, there was a chap that um, got on at Watford once last year, and it was about June, July time. It was quite a warm day. And when he actually got to me to buy his ticket, it, the smell hit me like a brick wall. Um, and it, it literally took my breath away. And I said, I'm, look, I'm really sorry, sir, but I can't take it because... I, smell. I, th- I, th- yeah, well, I, d- I didn't say that to him straight away. I said to him, I think you're, a, you're personally offensive. And he, he said to me, what do you mean? And I said, well... Um, you're going to sit on seats where other people are going to be sitting and I think that it wouldn't be fair to other passengers. I said, you th- I think you should go and get yourself cleaned up, basically. Well, we've sent Justin Dealey out on perhaps his biggest, most important job this morning. He's been on a bus. Justin, what oh. bus was it and how stinky was it? Ian, good morning to you, Andrew and his claims. Well, Andrew tipped us off that there were two routes that were particularly bad for smelly people. Hemel to Rickmansworth and Watford to Aylesbury. Well, just after seven o'clock this morning, I got on the Hemel to Rickmansworth bus. Only a handful of people on that bus and this is what happened. Kirsty, this bus we're on right now, you get this bus on a regular basis. Do people on this bus smell? Uh, and be brutally honest about this. 
Well, I think it just generally smells. I don't know if it's the people or the bus itself, but it just, it does smell. Well, how bad does it get? Are you going home every week? Are you dry cleaning your clothes? Does it get that bad? Well, if I could dry clean my jacket once a week, I would, but <laughs> the bill would be a bit pricey. But yes, I, I often think I don't want to um, pick up the smells of the bus. And when I go to work, I think, oh, do people smell bus for me? <laughs> and have you actually had to move before because somebody you're sitting next to is stinky? Um, generally, no, because I, I, I'm on the, the early bus, so I often don't have to sit right next to someone. So. What about yourself, sir? Is this bus route really smelly? Um, not in my view, no. I've not noticed anything you that stink. would make me move seats. And Plus, I'm too polite to do that, yeah. so I'd just put up with it if I had to. So, yeah. uh, What about the smelliest route, then, as far as you're concerned? If it's not this one, where is a smelly bus route? Um, I was once based in, well, a few years... A few months ago, I was based in Luton, so a lot of those bus routes, you'd be stuck on the bus route for over an hour, and the, obviously people are going to sweat, and then the air gets humid, and yeah, it, it can linger on the bus, and obviously when it gets later in the day, it gets far worse. Okay, and just lastly, the driver we spoke to said that, that people can't keep up with basic hygiene, and he was saying, that's all customers. You're a customer. How does that make you feel? Well, that's a bit insulting, considering what we're using the service. I mean... It's their bus. They should take care of it. Okay. And yourself, are you offended by those comments? Uh, I personally am a very clean person, so, um, but I didn't see where he's coming from. <laughs> Interesting stuff, Ian. So one saying, absolutely no, this bus does not smell. Somebody else saying, yes, it does. And what a great line there. When I get to work, do people smell bus on me? <laughs> what a fantastic line that was. The gentleman who says that the bus doesn't smell... Mm. Was he smelly? No, no. no, no a rich no. aroma uh, yes. was coming off his clothes this morning. But it, it, it was first thing in the morning. And somebody yeah. mentioned that there, that on the bus, there weren't many people. The majority of those people going to work, they're up early. They, they may have been to the gym. They may have gone home and had a shower. Uh, as far as I was concerned, getting on that bus, A, the bus, and B, the people, mm. they didn't smell. Mm. Mm. Why do people on buses not like having windows open? It's a bizarre one, isn't I it? I always get on there and I open the window and I've had someone stand up and shut the window yeah. seconds after I've... <laughs> open the window, get some airing, you horrible people. Yeah, but as, as Andrew mentioned earlier on, he said people on buses do not like fresh air. Now, he also went on to say that the elderly people do get cold on buses as well. Lots of stereotypes <laughs> were coming out when we spoke to him, <laughs> but he said as soon as I open the windows, yeah. two minutes later, they're shut again, uh, from nine o'clock onwards in particular, that the smell's really, really bad and there's nowhere for that smell to go if people don't want the windows open can't he get one of those little um like tree air fresheners that you get in your car put it over the, the <laughs> rear mirror i suppose he could do but yeah. if you've got what 30 40 yeah. people on a bus at a peak time and they're all smelly you've got no chance ever taken a wee on a bus justin no <laughs> people do don't because I've, I've been on buses uh, particularly in london mainly in london but maybe in luton as well uh and they smell of wee wee and you yeah. kind of and, and andrew was saying that as well and you kind of think at what point in your thinking do you go, I need a wee, I'm on a bus. Yes, yeah. Hey, I know what, I'll just do yeah. it here. Buses and car parks, um, the two worst things for that. Saying that, I very nearly did once do it in um, uh, in a tube train. You're a bad boy. I was so desperate, and yeah. I was I was set, and I was ready, and I was... Come on, you can't be that desperate, I, surely. I was, I was in You've pain. you arrested for that, and rightly so. <laughs> Justin Dealey, thank you very much indeed. Excellent stuff. If you can call a report about smelly buses, excellent. Then Justin certainly made it so. Thank 
Thank you very much. 08459 555555 is the telephone number. Uh, speeding. We're talking about speeding after a BBC investigation has revealed that uh, over two years, uh, the Thames Valley Police were busted a thousand times for speeding. Only 53 convictions were made. The rest of them had good excuses. Yeah. Mm. Um, Lisa has uh, commented on the Facebook page. Uh, yes, I'm thankful the police sped to my address at 4.15 this morning because some low-life scumbag has just chucked a rock the size of my hand through my son's bedroom window. So, yes, I'm pleased they were here in a timely manner. Did they catch them? No. Colon, open bracket. Oh, look, it looks like a sad face if you turn your head. Speeding to Miss Mackie breakfast offer by 10am, then no. Someone chucked a rock through your son's bedroom window? That's incredible. Wow. Um... David Priva is uh, standing in for Jonathan Vernon Smith today, as he has been the last couple of weeks, and been doing an excellent job. I think Jonathan's back next week, but um, hats off to uh, David Priva for doing an excellent job. He's asking, is speeding always dangerous? And if you want to get in touch with him, you can send him an email, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Put your telephone number on there, and who knows, they may give you a call and you could speak to David Priva yourself. Uh, let's have a look at the front pages of the newspaper. I'm going to av- avoid the fashion shows and idiots wearing boxes. I mean, look at this. I'm ignoring it. Uh, the Guardian. Um, Clegg joins protests over Shirker's tag. Tory rhetoric on welfare criticised. Uh, conservative efforts to single out the undeserving poor were attacked by Nick Clegg yesterday as a high-profile attempt to relaunch the coalition. Uh, instead, saw growing fault lines emerge over welfare reform. Add a- agency's new striker for lunchtime, five-a-side Ronaldo. What's this? Ten years after he scored a memorable hat-trick at Old Trafford to force Man U out of the Champions League. Oh, I'm bored of that already. If, if the first sentence of a newspaper story isn't grabbing me, I'm out. Uh, the Independent. Resignation of top Tory lord leaves a stain on PM's Ron Seal relaunch. They're all a bit boring, the newspapers. It's a little bit dull. The Express. How blood pressure drug beats dementia. Beta blockers can fight brain disease. And then there's a picture of Princess Diana, who I remember at the time being hot. Doesn't look so hot in that photo. Got quite a big nose. I saw her once. I walked past her in Kensington High Street. I walked past her with a friend, and we both went, oh, there's... that." Well, it was at the time when there was a Diana impersonator. We went, oh, there's that woman who thinks she looks like Princess Diana. And then we went... Oh, no, it's really Princess Diana. And so we, fo- we turned and we followed her. We stalked her, stalked her. And she got stuck on a trap. She was on her own. Right? And she uh, was actually quite, quite fit. And she... Oh, sorry, <laughs> you have to say that. I think that's treason. She was fit, though. And she got stuck on a traffic island. Okay, the, the lights changed. And suddenly, a big crowd of people started appearing around her as everyone realised who she was. And she looked a bit panicked. And there were about 20 people stood around her, kind of looking at her and trying to prod her and stuff. And within seconds, from nowhere, two massive security men just appeared and almost picked her up and walked her out of the way. Very exciting. Uh, the Daily Mail gas boss forced out with a golden goodbye. The, the boss of an energy giant that has doubled its prices in just seven years could pocket a £13 million payoff. Yes, please. And in the sun, um, a pop star has split up with another pop star. Isn't that sad? I hate it when that happens. I really do. 
Breaks my heart. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give us a call if you want to. 08459 455 555. Now, is it right for benefits to be cut in real terms to help reduce the deficit? Plans to cap the annual rise in benefits to 1% for the next three years will be put to a Commons vote later. Ministers argue it's unfair for welfare payments to increase faster than wages. They have historically risen in line with the rate of inflation. The cap would apply to benefits such as maternity allowance, sick pay, maternity pay, as well as some tax credits. Critics say it will result in a real terms cut in support for millions of working people. Well, Terry Hutt is from Royston Pensioners Action Group and he's organised a protest to Parliament today against the welfare benefits uprating bill. And Terry's on the line now. Morning, Terry. Morning. What are your main concerns about the changes the government want to make? Uh, the first thing I want to say is we are going to Parliament today and we will be there at 20 past 12 in the front of the building. That's the first thing. People are so angry about this, it's going to affect lots of people in a different way. Some are going to be lucky and some are going to be very, very unlucky. The real world out there today is when, when we talk about pensions and disabled people, everybody's in the same boat together indirectly. And when we talk about cuts, how is it going to affect you and me and everybody else? Well, it's going to cut the deficit, isn't it? That's, That's the plan. The plan is, they're talking about that plan, but they're not talking about the plan looking after the people. Uh, they're falling down on their faces. In one end, they make a new law and they break it. The promises go out the window and nobody really knows where they stand. But we're in such, <laughs> Terry, we're in such a financial mess in this country at the moment uh, that w- surely we need to do something to save some money. People's wages so, aren't so going so up. So why so why should benefits? Right. When we talk about financial mess, yes. is it our fault? It's not our fault, no, but we're all in it. It's not our fault, but... When we say we're all in it together, we're not all in it together. The people who are demanding the new laws are filthy rich anyway. They don't even know where they're coming from. Terry, but people's... At the same people's... Time, we are one of the richest, richest countries in the world. Terry, people's wages aren't going up, so why, why should benefits? Again, uh, why should uh, benefits stay as they are? People really need their benefits. Otherwise, they wouldn't be getting them in the beginning, would they? But, sorry, I don't know if you heard me, Terry. People's wages aren't going up. Again, uh, it's sad to say that people's wages are not going up. Yes. The businesses are going to the wall. Yes, so why should benefits go up then? Why why, why should people who aren't working have their benefits increased when, when people who are working aren't having their wages increased? Right, I can see where you're coming from there. When we talk about... The people at work, they're talking about people at work and the lazy people who are dodgers. But at the same time, where is the money going? Well, it's going to pay off the. the, It's going not to pay off the deficit. I I would would imagine. But uh, at the same time, when we talk about deficit. I'm lost for words half of the time because I've always worked all my life and I've been lucky to have a job. I'm a carpenter and joiner. But at the same time, it would be a disaster for people to be out of work anyway. And how can they live on the wages that they're talking about? Terry, how many people are you hoping will go on your protest today? 
Well, today, today I'm hoping through the radio stations like yourself, they will get up off their backside and mm. go because it's going to come in effect in April. Yeah. And when I say when they talk about their marriage, what about everybody else's marriage? At the moment, Terry, up a lot more have, people. Have you spoken to anyone else that's going, Terry, or is it? Yes, just you. There's people all over the country going. What do you hope to achieve today? What, 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 what would you like? We are going there to make our process to be heard through the media. That's the only way we can do it mm. at the moment. For the those way who... forward... Go on, carry on. The way forward is to stick together. We won the last World War and we intend to win this one too. Terry, for those who do want to, to join you, what time are you meeting and whereabouts? Twenty past, uh, half past twelve, outside Parliament itself. Right. Do you uh, really we, think we, this is going to, Terry? Do, do you really think this is going to have any effect on the decision between t- between you and me? If we didn't stand up for ourselves, we wouldn't have any effect, would mm. we? Mm. Terry, listen, thank you very much. We, we may speak to you later on and find out how it went. That's Terry Hutt there from the Royston Pensioners Action Group. He's organised a protest. Uh, at, at Parliament today against the welfare benefits uprating bill. What do you think? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, Steve uh, Stephen Timms is the Shadow Employment Minister. He joins me now. Morning, Stephen. Morning, Ian. You're opposed to this cap, aren't you? Why is that? Yes, we we are. This cap is mainly taking money away from families who are in work. So, for example, the Children's Society has worked out that an army second lieutenant supporting his wife and three children will lose £552 a year under these proposals. 300,000 nurses and midwives will lose out 150,000 primary and nursery school teachers as well as 42,000 in the armed forces. And we think this is the wrong approach, particularly at a time when, in April, the government is going to give a tax cut to everybody who earns more than £150,000 a year. What else could be done to reduce the deficit then, Stephen? Well, the the problem the government has is they're projecting now that unemployment is going to go up next year. Their economic policies haven't worked. They haven't delivered what we were told they were going to deliver. Unemployment is set to go up, and that will cost about an extra $6 billion in unemployment benefit over the next four years. This cap is intended to claw that money back, about the same amount, from people who receive benefits. We are saying that instead of that the priority should be to get people back into work we uh, talked last week about our compulsory jobs guarantee and how we would pay for for that but it does need as well a change of economic policy so that we get some growth into the economy some jobs being created and that way the unemployment bill can be brought down rather than in the way the government is trying to do with this legislation today the coalition argues uh, that benefits should not be rising at a faster rate than wages. And there are a lot of people that would agree with that, aren't there? But the bill is largely taking money away from people who are working. 60% of the money, because it's tax credits that uh, that are being cut, 60% of the money is coming from people who are in employment, and 68% of the households affected have got people, uh, have got somebody in in work. So this isn't uh, just about people who are out of work, it's about people who are in work. And, as I say, primary school teachers, midwives, nurses, those are the kinds of people who are going to be hardest hit by this. And we think it's a a very unfair approach to be taking. 
Stephen Timms, uh, Shadow Employment Minister, thank you very much for your time. Well, what do you think? 08459 455 555. Do you think that this makes sense? That uh, benefits, the increase in benefits should be capped? And this will mean maternity allowance, sick pay, maternity pay, some tax credits. The, the, the cap would apply to, to those and many more. What do you think? Is it a good idea? There's a huge deficit, isn't there? We hear about it all the time. It's got to be clawed back somehow. Is this not the best way to do it? Or is this the government uh, attacking the most vulnerable again and uh, hanging them out to dry? 08459 455 555. What do you think? Do you think this is a, a fantastic idea that is essential and is exactly the kind of forward thinking that we need? Uh, listen, I bet you if you're working, you've not had a pay rise for the last couple of years, have you? If anything, you might be getting paid slightly less, working less hours. I know loads of companies have come up with deals with the unions and with their workers where they kind of split their shifts a bit and they all work a bit less to ensure they keep their jobs. Or maybe you're dependent on uh, the income you get from these benefits. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can send us a text as well, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can go to the Facebook page. And you can go on there and have a little Barney with some of the other people that are there. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Don't be rude. Don't be nasty on there. But you can have arguments. I like going on there. I I pop on there during the show and after the show and read everything that you've written. And it's nice when you get feisty with each other and when you disagree with each other. Just don't don't use indoor language. That's my only only rule, I think. Listener Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's just got eight o'clock on a Tuesday, the first full week of January. Who'd have thunk it? 2013. Wow, we're living in the future. Do you remember when 1999 sounded a long way away? Like in the future wise. Well, now it was a long way away in the back wise. Don't know what that means. Lots coming up between now and nine o'clock, including. A BBC investigation has revealed how many Thames Valley police officers were prosecuted for speeding. I'll be speaking to Henry Parsons, Chief Inspector of the Joins Roads Policing Unit, to find out whether he thinks it's acceptable. A bus driver from Hemel Hempstead has told this programme he's absolutely sick of the stench of smelly people on his buses. Where is the smelliest route in the three counties? Just why are staff at Whipsnade Zoo spending the day counting all their animals? Reporter Justin Dealey will be there to find out. If you want to get in touch, you can uh, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can send us a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give us a phone call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. couple of lines free so now is an excellent time as we hunt down the smelliest bus route uh, in uh, the three counties 08459 455 555 and we'll do I'm fascinated by this zoo doing a stock take Uh, it's the time of year when all the zoos do their stock takes why well you know how many lions you've got you know if a lion had gone or had arrived but they count things like stick insects and stuff like that what's uh, who cares how many stick insects you've got Really? We'll find out more later on. More than 1,000 Thames Valley police cars were caught speeding in the last two years, but only 53 were prosecuted. 
following a freedom of information request by the BBC, Thames Valley Police told us in the other 956 cases, the officer driving the car had given a valid reason for speeding. Earlier on, I spoke to Ellen Booth, senior campaigns officer at Brake, the road safety charity. From Brake's perspective, we do believe that more could be done to clarify the kinds of situations where it is okay for police to speed, to make sure that police officers are giving really, really good training on how to weigh up the benefits um, and the negatives of speeding so they can make a really balanced and good decision. Um, Certainly, I think, you know, it is the case that we still have um, a number of people killed every year in crashes um, caused by speeding police officers so what we do need to do is make sure that the balance is right at the moment the balance isn't quite right so we do need to be working with the association of police officers chief police officers um, and others to make sure that we have got that right balance henry parsons is the chief inspector of joint roads policing unit at thames valley police morning henry good morning henry what does the law say at the moment when is a police car allowed to speed it's a really wide definition, and in short, it's when the vehicle is being used for policing purposes, albeit we apply a much tighter restriction on that in Thames Valley Police. So, obviously, it can do, can do it when it's, it's got the lights flashing, but it's allowed to speed when the lights aren't flashing as well? Uh, yes, it is. We prioritise our calls, or, or grade them in Thames Valley Police, yep. and the, the call that uh, officers are entitled to not only speed, but break other road traffic regulations, if it's necessary... Mm is uh, for immediate grade calls, and that could be a crime in progress, or or where someone needs our help immediately, or perhaps they're in danger, or or likely to be hurt if we don't go quickly. 53 uh, accounts of Thames Valley Police speeding illegally in the last two years. Why why were they doing that? I I can't answer for those occasions, but what I can do is give uh, some context, perhaps, to the figures where we've uh, issued notices of intended prosecution to the other thousand officers We've activated speed cameras, if that's okay. Well, uh, we could do that in a second. 53, breaking the law, though, is is unacceptable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get that figure down to zero. It should be zero. Uh, And and what happens to those 53 drivers? What's what's the the internal um, punishment system? Uh, What we do is uh, we identify the drivers who basically don't follow their training and our procedures. We'll then assess them whether that's their driving being assessed, and we also conduct psychometric assessing, uh, assessment on them. Uh, we then identify what interventions needed, whether that's retraining or restrictions on their driving, and that could be a total ban on their driving police vehicles. And then when people are back on the road, we monitor them, and we've got systems to do that. Uh, and I'm assuming they get points on their licence? Uh, that's separate to the internal process, yeah. but uh, the, the courts will apply whatever punishment they see fit. Okay, so they would get points in their licence like anybody else would? Yeah, absolutely. They're they're treated at least to the same standard, if not to a a higher standard for their driving. And and they pay their own fines as well, do they, personally? Yes, they do. It's not paid by the police. Um, If they act outside our policies and procedures, they're liable themselves. Okay, so your your aim is to get that down to zero. How long do you think that will take? Uh, I, I can't quantify that. Unfortunately, surely, like surely you, you could, you could, surely it, uh, it, it can happen now, can't it? The, the police should not be speeding illegally. Uh, you're right. The police should not be speeding illegally. I feel like I'm telling off a policeman. It's very exciting. Thank you, Henry, for being so patient. The, the, the 956 cases where um, the, 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 it seems the police got away with breaking the law. What was going on there? Yeah, I just want to clarify that they didn't get away with breaking the law. 
What happened in these cases is speed cameras have been activated by police officers in marked police cars. And at that precise moment, the, the flash has gone off on the camera, has not clearly captured the blue light. So in the, those cases, we've got a, a process to check what's going on. We'll ask the officers what's going on. We'll ask our supervisors what's happened. We'll then check what we've been told against our command and control records. And then if needs be, we'll check our data or black box recorders. Uh, as well. Uh, in most of those instances, officers have been speeding and it's been the right thing to do because people have needed our help and officers are driven through speed cameras quite safely but above the speed limit in order to help people quickly. Mm. You say most of those cases? Yeah, because as you've already mentioned, we've the prosecuted 53. 50 officers who, who haven't met that strict criteria. There are some cynical people, Henry, who might say, well, hang on a second, you, you know, jobs for the boys, everybody helping each other here, the, the police officers, well, look, sorry, Sarge, the reason that camera flashed off is I was chasing a drug dealer, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. How, how thorough is the check made on every single person, a police officer, who's flashed? Uh, it is thorough. Uh, ultimately, if uh, the example you've given of someone chasing a drug dealer, there'd be a radio record of the officer doing that. Right. That would be shown on the data recorder in the car. So we're very, very strict in, in verifying these circumstances. What's What's next for you, Henry? What What, what do you do? What are you What are you going to say to to the, uh, the, the the boys and the girls to get them to stop speeding when they don't need to? Basically, what they do, they get a, a tiered sort of process of intervention and the retraining and assessment. Uh, basically should prevent them speeding again or at least clearly identify why they shouldn't mm. henry listen thank you very much i appreciate your time henry parsons chief inspector of joint roads policing unit at thames valley police no one has uh, has called up yet and and come on the air to say do you know in yeah i speed because you all do it uh, also like on the converse no one has called up to say actually ian i've never sped stroke speeded i've never done it why would why would I need to? I think that all drivers have at some point in their driving career broken the speed limit. For whatever reason, you're a bit late for that meeting. That car is really annoying you, sticking to 70 miles an hour in the middle lane. I'm going to show it. My wife's pregnant. I'm, she's having a baby. She's not. Sorry, I'm just saying that as an example of when you've probably done it. You've all done it. Just go into the shop. So it's only a 30. It's 30. I can do 35 here. It's four o'clock in the morning. I know these roads are completely empty. 08459 455 555. Have you done it? Have you broken the speed limit? I think you probably have. I think you all have. If you're driving now, you've probably done it this morning. You may not realise, but you've probably done it this morning. And now loads of areas, have you noticed? Loads of places are now 20 miles an hour. Loads of places that used to be 30 are 20 now. Have you spotted that? 20s. If you've driven at 20, 20 is very, very slow. It's really slow. Does it need to be 20? 08459 455 555. When have you broken the speed limits... Or are you one of these people that has never broken the speed limit and thinks there's no need for it whatsoever? 08459 455 555. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the vote today on um, whether to cap various benefits. Elizabeth has emailed 3cr at bbc.co.uk. The government are, re are in receipt of the largest, uh, most expensive benefits paid out. Subsidised meals, gold-plated pensions, expenses... Does Margaret Moran receive a government pension? I bet she does. Means test the single occupancy discount on council tax. There are people out there who do not need that as well. They could save some more money there. From Elizabeth. 
and Andy and Milton Keynes has texted 81333, starting his text 3CR. I haven't had a pay rise at work in years. In fact, we all now have to work six weeks of the year for nothing just to keep our jobs. Times are bad, very bad indeed. Yes, I've heard stories of this. It doesn't shock me, Andy, of uh, people kind of cutting their shifts, um, cutting their pay, working longer, just to ensure that they keep their job, their, their jobs. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. What do you think about this? Uh, the, 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 these benefits. There is the argument that we're in such a huge financial mess that anywhere we can save money has got to be a good thing, hasn't it? It's got to be something that we pursue to try and rein this deficit in. We're, we're stuffed, aren't we? <laughs> we're all stuffed. There's no hope. Very free, I don't want to fall out with you, but you're, a, mm. you're an idiot. Here I am, sitting in a tin can. Sorry? <laughs> Far above the world. Go How on. can you not be a fan? Go on, give us, give, give us, give us a bit more. Go on, go That's on. That's the best I can do. Come on, I've got the echo on there. Ah, all right. Here I am, sitting in a tin can. I am tone deaf. It's David Bowie on the internet, www.davidbowie.net. How can you not be a fan? He's rubbish. The thin white tube. Oh, for goodness oh. sake. I know what, let's oh. do a load of cocaine in the 80s and write some really boring songs. Okay, David, yeah, Ooh. nice one. He's the only man ever to have written the words Marks and Sparks into a lyric. And there's can you a name reason. that song for five points? Oh, Come is on. it uh, Life on Mars? No. Wrote it for someone else. It's a good pub quiz question, this one. Oh. But the thing is... All got, the young dudes, Mot the Hoople. Mot the Hoople. Yeah. I've got the album where he's wearing a dress. Yeah, that's a good one. It's not. It's rubbish. His only good songs are um, Changes yeah. and Dancing in the Street. Oh, come on. That's a lot of fun. Let's Dancing Dance in the Street. is a great tune. Let's Dance is awful. Let's argue Put for Put on mine. your blue shoes and dance the blues. Yeah, but you only like made-up bands, don't you? Like made-up TV bands. I do like made-up. T- and of course, oh, well, there you go. You've, you've just done the connection. <laughs> uh, what was? Why did David Bowie have to change his name? Oh, go on. Well, his name was David Jones. And that's he had right. To change it because, because of, of David Jones. Of the monkeys. It all goes around in a circle. It all links up. The, the, there's a new single out. Uh, the internet is virtually melting because mm-hmm. of it. You're going to play a bit later we'll on. Play, but we're allowed one minute, 18 seconds. Wowzers. Yeah, cool. it's good, isn't it? What else is coming? I'm assuming that's not going to be the big phone-in. Do you I like could do news? three hours on uh, Bowie. I it's Bowie as in no, not Bow as in now. If you, and there is a page on the BBC website about how to pronounce his name. Really? Yeah, she ever worried. Yeah. I, I, always, yeah, I always go to Bowie Zoe because Zoe Bowie. That's right. Yes. Who yes. changed his name to Duncan Jones or James or Smith. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Uh, speeding this morning, as yes. you've been discussing. It's an interesting one. Why is speeding always dangerous is the question we're going to ask. Uh, you're talking about this because of the Thames Valley uh, officers, of course, who've been s- caught speeding in the last two years. But as you've said, we all do it. Why do we think it's okay to break the law every single day? It's mm. one of those laws that we think, well, it's the law, but it's not really the it's law. Not, it's, not, it's not proper law. It's not a proper law. What's that all about, that we take that law, yeah. that most important law that's there because we kill people if we drive too fast and make up our own rules mm. that affect us? Is speeding always dangerous? After nine on 08459... Four double five, five double five. You've got the number down, Pat. David Prevert, love to see you. See you later on. If you want to get in touch, oh, it's always so. Sitting in a tin can. Thank you very much. Go and sit in your tin can, you weird, weird man with terrible (laughs) music taste. Uh, If you want to um, get in touch with David, you can send him a little email: jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Just kind of say what you want to talk about, include your phone number, and one of the team will be in touch. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. All this week, 
We're looking at the state of housing in beds, hearts and bucks as councils draw up plans for how many houses should be built across the patch. We've been examining whether this automatically means small homes on packed housing developments. Well, on the line now is John Stewart, Director of Economic Affairs at the Home Builders Federation. It represents companies which build and develop new homes. Morning, John. Morning, Ian. What are the pressures on your members in the current economic climate? I suppose the main pressure is on the mortgage front, on the demand side. It's very difficult for um, many people to get access to a mortgage, particularly for first-time buyers who have a relatively small deposit. And if home builders can't sell the homes they build, well, they won't tend to build them. Um, But there are pressures on land and planning, but I guess they're not quite so acute right at the moment. Is it true that new-build estates usually have smaller rooms and are built closer together? Um, Probably... If we compare, say, with the 1930s, when land was relatively freely available, um, but I think there's a, it's a complicated picture. It's partly policy-driven. It's partly um, on the demand side. But at the end of the day, the ultimate uh, discipline on house builders is people who buy new homes. Mm. If they were to build them at densities which people just wouldn't accept, or if the rooms were just too small, people won't buy them, and house builders won't make any money. So th- there's always that discipline on them. We've, had, uh, we've reported that many newly built estates across Beds, Hearts and Bucks aren't complete, uh, and many of those which have been built haven't been sold. Why, why do you think that is, John? Um, I think I dispute many. Um, there aren't that many schemes around which are, if you like, half completed that aren't carrying on. I mean, obviously, if, if house builders are halfway through a site, well, then it's partly completed. But they're, not, they're not getting all the facilities um, that, that, that perhaps they were promised, like shops and churches and things like that. Well, those will often come along later on in a scheme. If you're talking about a big scheme, obviously a small scheme, that wouldn't be relevant. But if, if there were shops planned on a very large scheme, they will come along at some point, And that will have been agreed with the local authority when that will happen. Uh, looking ahead, what are the main issues which are going to be affecting the building industry this year, do you think? This year, well, the mortgage situation remains the, the dominant influence, and if we see some uh, creeping improvement in the mortgage situation, which I think is happening, rates have certainly come down, and we hope there'll be more available mortgages. Uh, that will be a key influence. If, if the house builders can sell more because there are more mortgages around, then they can build more. Uh, but at some point, and I don't think it'll be this year, but over the next few years, the planning system, which is where you introduce this uh, the story, uh, will become an issue. John Stewart, Director of Economic Affairs at the Home Builders Federation. Thank you very much. We're joined now by Tim Skelton, who was in charge of designing and building Milton Keynes in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Morning, Tim. Good morning, Ian. What was it like to help build a city like Milton Keynes? That must have been very exciting. Oh, it was fantastic, although uh, I must correct you, I wasn't responsible for it. I was just a small part of the organisation. Well, don't, don't, don't play your, your part down, but yes, you, you, you're part of the team. How, di- how did it work? Um, well, basically, uh, Milton Keynes Development Corporation was a government body and it had the ability to uh, buy up all the land and then um, develop housing briefs, uh, commercial briefs, and sell the land on to um, developers to then build houses themselves. And we had the ability uh, for a period until uh, the uh, Margaret Thatcher came in to um, build rental houses as well. Were, were there problems similar to the problems we're having now? Or did you kind of have free reign to do what you wanted? Um, to a certain extent, yes. We had to get a sort of planning permission in broad terms from the government. But um, once we had that, we could develop land. And critically, because we, we owned the land, we could decide how many, you know, what housing densities we wanted. So if we wanted uh, you know, small schemes of you know, houses with large gardens, we could do that as long as we got an economic return on the land. So did you realise at the time how significant your job was? Um, 
Yes, I, I think um, particularly in the, the 70s, there was very much um, a sort of pioneering spirit. Mm. I mean, the, Milton Keynes was a child of the 60s when you know, there were lots of new towns, new universities, and everything was incredibly adventurous. So it was, I mean, it was a very exciting period. What do you think about new villages uh, like Wixom's, the Wixom's popping up everywhere? Um, I think they have their place. The, the difficulty I find is that the, the housing densities are so much higher than um, certainly what we were doing in Milton Keynes in the 70s and early 80s. Um, as John said, you know, that is a combination of all sorts of things, including government policy. But um, you know, we've had that in Milton Keynes over the years. More recent developments have been to a far higher density than what was done previously. There's always talk about new buildings being and, and, and changes to Milton Keynes. What, what is the future like for Milton Keynes, Tim? I think the, the future is very positive. Um, we, we've had a recent announcement that the council is going to be taking on the, um, the, unrem, uh, the remaining undeveloped land within the city. So it uh, will be able to control um, housing land and, um, and development going forward, which is, I think, very positive for Milton Keynes. Tim Skelton, uh, uh, thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. MPs are voting today on whether to, to cap benefits. Uh, Jason is in Hitchin. Morning, Jason. Good morning, Ian. What do you, what do you make of this? Um, I, think, I think the government's focus is a little bit um, misguided, or very misguided in some instances. Um, and I think we should be looking, you know, if the MPs want us to make these massive savings and cuts, perhaps they should be leading by example rather than dictating. <coughs> Are you on benefits, Jason? Uh, yes, we receive benefits. Can I ask which, which ones? Um, we receive tax credits um, and housing benefits. If they were, were capped, so in, in essence they wouldn't be growing in line with inflation over the next few years, how would that affect you? Um, well, we'd be susceptible to price rises, the same as everybody else. Mm. Um, it's just that the money that we work for wouldn't go as far as it does today. Um, I think when you've got MPs claiming um, expenses for second homes when they're living in, within perfectly commutable distances um, and claiming expenses for staff and services that they could perhaps <laughs> perhaps do themselves or find more economic ways, perhaps, perhaps sharing staff between MPs and things like this, um, you know, and their travel allowances and, and, and what have you, I think they ought to start looking at where they could make more savings rather than keep telling... Jason, there are people who are saying, though, look, we, we are in such uh, um, a mess in this country with this huge deficit. We've got to do something to cut it. They should be looking everywhere, shouldn't they, including benefits? Uh, no, 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 I agree with you. They should be looking to benefits, but I think they should be leading by example. You've got Whitehall, for example, that is a massive, massive, massive drain that is part of the reason that that deficit is so large. We've got the huge bill to Europe. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go into the Europe debate, but £53 million a day. There we go. Well, you've, you've, just, you, you've just gone into it, Jason. We'll, we'll move on. Thank you very much, Jason Hitchin. Uh, also talking, we're covering all the topics today. Smelly busters. I know. Uh, there's a, look, a little argument on, uh, on Facebook has been brewing. Trudy, as a bus driver myself, the worst kind of passenger are smelly ones, followed closely by drunk ones. Wow. Trudy puts the stinky ones above the, the boozed up ones. If I know the person at the bus stop is more than a little ripe, I can and have driven past. How do you know? Well, you, it's not like they're in a, in a comic and you can see wavy lines coming off them indicating that they smell. 
Not only is it bar... Oh, Trudy. Not only is it bath-making for myself, but I must consider other passengers. When you can buy bars of soap for ten pence, there's no reason for smelling bad. You also know they have acrid morning breath for the whole day. Well, Darren has then replied to Trudy on Facebook. Going past bus stops with people waiting would get you sacked if you got reported. And I worked for first and stagecoach, but some old people don't help themselves or wash. Well, now, you see, you say that, that I have, um, I've got a nemesis bus driver who, uh, when he sees me, he drives past me. Right? I've complained loads of times. He ain't got the sack. He's still driving that bus. Sometimes he doesn't recognise me because if I, I can see him because he's bald and I can see his bald, shiny, evil head right, from a distance. So I put my hood up. Right? So he doesn't know, and, and slouch a bit, so he doesn't know it's me. And then I stop the bus. Then when I get on the bus, I kind of unveil myself. It's like, ah, you stopped for me. Thank you. Horrible man. So I don't think... When you complain about bus drivers, as I have done on many occasions... Don't get me started on bus drivers. Uh, it goes to an internal, secret uh, investigation... So the company will, the, the company claim they will reprimand the person, investigate. They won't tell you what the results of their investigation are. They'll never reveal the results, which is very frustrating because you know that the bloke you're speaking to on the complaints line is probably best mates with that idiot bus driver that you've been moaning about. So I go, oh, Steve, there's some idiot called in and complained about you. Nice work. Keep it up. You know nothing's being done. Lisa Hunter on Facebook says, my son has to evacuate the bus because of urine man. If, if you're going to pick a name as a superhero, that's the worst one. His smell is still on the bus a mile after he's got off. Lisa, who on earth is this urine man? Well, someone who may know is Catherine Boyle. Meanwhile, last night saw another award for the magnificent Messi. Messi took the honour ahead of Barcelona teammates Andres Iniesta and Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo. How can you take him seriously? His name's Messi. You keep saying it. How can you take him seriously? It's not Messi with a Y. He's Italian. He's Messi on, is, is Messi on the pitch. Is he Messi? Is he on the... Is Messi, Messi's on, Messi on the pitch? It's Messi on the pitch. How can you take him seriously, Catherine? Sorry. Lena Messi is very good anyway, um, regardless of the name. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Sorry, that was... Uh... That was un- unnecessary. That that came from somewhere. Just because ah. Coming up in the next half an hour of the show, you may have seen a story that's in most of your national newspapers today. It's being reported that Hertfordshire fire officers sent out, he, three fire engines to rescue a squirrel. According to one of the papers, it costs £6,000. Just a squirrel. We'll find out why and how they feel about all the press attention they're getting. And just why are, is animal-themed the next 30 minutes, why are staff at Whipsnade Zoo spending the day counting all their animals? Reporter Justin Daly will be there to find out. Now... This squirrel, a Hertfordshire squirrel, is in all the newspapers this morning, including the front page of The Sun. The headline reads, Nuts! And tells the tale of the squirrel that had to be rescued by two fire engines and several firefighters in Watford. It, come, it came after a worried locals reported that the animal was stuck in a pond and they tried to rescue it themselves. Ian Parkhouse is the area commander for Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue. Morning, Ian. Uh, morning, Ian. What on earth are you doing? Uh, you know, the, the media that's been reported recently in local papers doesn't give a, a true reflection of the incident. Give, us, are, give us the true reflection, Ian. Well, we received a call on Sunday indicating that an, uh, an animal was stuck on the island in the middle of the pond in Watford High Street yep. and that persons were trying to rescue the animal, um, members of the public that being, um, from the island. Now, 
we sent the the appropriate response to that for a life risk because we believed members of the public were trying to, as I said, enter the water. Seven firemen, three fire engines. Uh, we sent we sent two local fire, um, fire engines and one water incident team along to the incident. How deep is that water? Uh, it's approximately three foot deep in the deepest part, but it has got uh, an amount of debris on the bottom of the pond as well. Because I can see that there's a picture in the sun of a fella, and it's, it's just covering his feet. He stood in it, and it's just covering his feet. Yeah, that, that was obviously on the edges where it's at its um, l- um, uh, lowest, the water. Now, the problem we had, when we attended in consul- consultation with our police colleagues, there were a number of members of the public who were intoxic- intoxicated, and were obviously there was concern that they were going to enter the pond to try and rescue the squirrel. Now, what we didn't want to happen is to be subsequently called back to that incident to a member of the public in trouble in the water. Uh, should it really have been a job for the fire service? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Well, the, the responsibility for animal rescue actually lies with the RSPCA. Now, the normal, normal protocol is that they would attend and then request resources to rescue an animal. Now, you know, we've got the necessary equipment, skills and resources that we can attend and actually assist the RSPCA in rescuing both small and large animals. Six thousand pounds it's cost. Uh, that's a bit exaggerated, I have to say. You know, all of the all of the firefighters that attended were on duty, so their salaries were being paid at that time. Okay, so, how much did it cost? Uh, well, the only cost, additional cost for attending the incident, would have been any fuel costs for the um, vehicles actually attending the incident. But supposing they'd been there rescuing a squirrel. Yes. And like something proper had happened, like, I don't know, a fire. Yeah, we we would always take that into consideration. In you know, an animal rescue and um, would. Um, obviously come uh, second to any life risk or property fire or road traffic accident involving members of the public that we would need to attend. So what what should I do if I see some idiot, some drunk idiot, trying to rescue, like, a vole that's trapped up a tree? Should I should I call you because the, the drunk man might hurt himself? Yeah, or? We, we have a real... We have a number of incidents over the year where members of the public attempting to rescue animals specifically from from areas of water get themselves into trouble. Now, we would encourage anyone, if they see an animal in distress, be it a domestic animal or uh, a wild animal, to contact the RSPCA for advice on how to deal with the incident. You've got all these lads here, right, and they're all big, proper fire lads. I'm a big fan of the fire, fire brigade. And they're all, they've got their helmets, their suits, their gloves, they've got all the, the, this equipment. Did they not just turn up and go, oh, for goodness sakes, really? Come on. There is, there, I understand your point, Ian, but there is always that inherent risk that a member of the public is going to enter the watercourse or enter the pond and get themselves into trouble. Now, you know, we're, we're about prevention and protection from members of the public, so we need to make sure that we took the risk away and we, and we remove that possibility. You're, you're in the sun, the mail, the telegraph, the mirror, you're on the radio, you're on the telly. What does the fire service think of all this attention that, that you're getting? Um, it, unfortunately, it, is, it has not been reported properly in the media. You know, when, when you actually give the details of the incident, it becomes the rationale by, by mm. myself attending and carrying out the tasks we actually attend. It doesn't um, become that much. It still sounds ridiculous, to be honest, Ian. We have got a responsibility, you know, to save life, as, as I've already indicated, but we've also got a responsibility to provide human humanitarian services it's a squirrel 
it, it is, it's know, a blooming squirrel. They're a nuisance. They're like rats. I Would you save a rat? I understand what you're saying, but you know, there's a lot of animal lovers out there, and for us to attend that incident and then walk away and do nothing. Oh, come, now, Ian, now you are being silly. Come on, it's just a squirrel. They're vermin. Would you, if it was a rat, would you have saved a rat? Like I said, if there was a member of the public attempting to rescue it, we've got a responsibility to make sure that um, that member of the public doesn't enter the watercourse, and so we prevented that by encouraging the squirrel to leave the pond. And how did you get the squirrel out? Uh, one one member, one firefighter in, in appropriate PPE entered the pond and encouraged the squirrel to leave, which it did, climbed up a ladder and out of the pond. Do, do you know that what you've just said sounds ridiculous? Ian, what I'm saying is, you know... But what you've just said is like a fire a fireman in the appropriate qui- equipment got into a pond that goes up to his feet and encouraged the squirrel to to leave. You as, know that sounds ridiculous. Come I, on. As I said, in the water is up to three foot deep in places. It was, it's got sludge on the bottom. There's debris in the pond. With us leaving the squirrel there and doing nothing, there was always the inherent risk that a member of the public was going to enter the pond and get into difficulties themselves, which we wanted to prevent. Thank you very much for coming on. Ian Parkhouse is the uh, area commander for Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue. Wowzers. <laughs> like, there's nothing I can say to that, is there, really, at all? He said it all himself. Hey, it's tally time at Whipsnade Zoo. Yeah, they're going to count all the animals. In about an hour's time, zoo managers start counting their residents for their annual stock take, which is not easy when there's nearly 3,000 animals to consider. There might be more, there might be less. They just don't know. Well, we've sent down our animal counting correspondent, Justin Dealey, to take part in the count. Justin, where exactly are you and what's happening? Ian, good morning. How exciting. I'm live at Whipsnade Zoo. I'm with the penguins this morning. And as you know, I've got a great relationship relationship with animals, correct? We all know that at the BBC. I'm well, sure you're, we fa- you're famous for it, Justin. Yes, yes. I'm famous for it. So You like uh, bears. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, yes. I had a word with Pingu and the Massive this morning here, and I said, come on, Pingu, we go back. Can you make some noise for Ian Lee? We waited, we waited, yes, yes. and then this happened. Thank- ah. Oh, thank you. Now bear with this, Ian, bear with it. And again, son. This is ridiculous as a fireman encouraging a squirrel out of a pond. <laughs> you enjoyed that, come on. You must Are you sure that wasn't that. the fella that goes on the bus and makes that horrible smell? <laughs> uh, that, that, that was the local penguin <laughs> what do you impersonator. Do, what do you do to a penguin to make... Where, where do you put your fingers to make a penguin make that oh, noise? I, I just look and I wink and I have a conversation. <laughs> as we said there, come on, Pingu, come on, son. And then suddenly he does the noise for me. It's fantastic. But today, <sighs> it is a big day. Joining me live here at Whipsnade Zoo is Cat Baldwin. Cat, you are from Whipsnade. It's a massive day. It's your annual stock take and you have to do this by law don't you is that correct yep it's something we do every january we count up every single animal in the zoo um first of all so we have all the up-to-date information and also to make sure we can renew our license and you've got so many animals here how long does this take um it should take a few days we've got roughly 2500 animals so it does take a while but hopefully this week will have done it all and you've just got hundreds of people walking around the zoo with a clipboard uh, yeah pretty much all the keepers got the clipboards out ticking mm. off the animals everyone always has a great day here what exciting arrivals did you have in 2012 which will now officially be added to your stock take we had a baby rhino he was born four weeks ago so he'll be added in uh, we had six cheetah cubs three lynx kittens Django, the baby giraffe and georgina the pygmy hippo 
Now, that all sounds lovely, but apparently some poor person has got to count the ants one by one. <laughs> it's a bit of a job, isn't it? it? Well, it would be if we did it that way, but what we do is we just count them as one colony, which makes mm. it a lot easier than counting every single ant. Now, here's my bag in the back here. What would happen if I sneaked a python into that bag and I let him loose today in the zoo, and then at the end Ooh. of the day, you're adding this up and you're thinking, ooh, it's a random python, we've got one extra. Has that ever happened? Have you had a surprise beast uh, that, that's been here at the zoo uh, that's been added up as part of your annual stock take? We've had surprise births, but not really surprise animals that just turn up. Keepers do check them every day just to make sure they're all still around. Okay, and 2013, what are we looking forward to this year? What's going to be happening here at Whipsnade Zoo? Uh, we've got a baby elephant on the way. That's due later in the year. That's one of our most exciting things. And what's your favourite animal? Are you allowed to say, or is that uh, a question that you simply can't answer live on the BBC? Um, I do like a lot of them, but I think if I had to pick, I'd go for the elephants. What, even better than these penguins? <laughs> yeah, I think... Look at his poor face! I know. After you now. I know. To the elephants. Okay, thank you very much indeed for your time. It's a busy day for you. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go, Cat Baldwin joining us live. Cat's going to be back on drive time a bit later on with Roberto, Lovely. giving us some of those figures. So it's something they <clears> do <throat> every year, and it's fantastic. Justin, this I've got, I've got an idea. Yeah, right. come on. Is Cat still there? Yes. Can you ask her <clears throat> if in the when the spring when it gets a bit warmer? Yeah. Can you and I go swimming with the baby elephant? Oh, Honestly, really? they, they let people do it. I'm sure it's a whipsnade. Yes. Ask. I'm sure we won't be back the next day. Um, so, uh, Ian's saying, w- w- when the weather warms up in springtime, um, how about that Ian and I put on our speedos, mine are better than his, by the way, and we go swimming with the elephants. Can we do that? Not swimming, but you can come and feed them if you want. No, no I don't want to feed them. I don't want to feed them. I want to go swimming with swimming an elephant. Let's go swimming. No, no, sorry, we can't do it. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> Justin, are you still carrying that python around with you? Uh, yes, yes, he's in my bag right now. Listen to him. <laughs> Have you been drinking or something this morning? You're in a very strange, boisterous mood, young man. When you come to a zoo, you can't help but get in that mood. It's it's somewhere I came as a child, and I love it just as much now. Is it? And is it true? Do they really have ants? In yeah, a zoo? Absolutely. Why? You, you, you have colonies of ants near. You, you have Why? them all the time. Why do you have ants here? Who's interested in ants? They're part of our discovery centre, so we've got leaf cutter ants, mm-hmm. insects, fish. So you have people coming to the door saying, right, where's the ants? Forget the penguins, forget the elephants, where's the ants? Possibly. Yeah, Some yeah. people do like ants. Yeah. And enthusiasts do exist, apparently. Yeah. There we go, yes. Justin. An excellent report, sir. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Ian. See you later on. Tata, Justin Dilly there. Uh, Whipsnade Zoo. Ants in a zoo. I've got ants in my garden. Can I charge people to come and have a look at those? What? No one's interested in ants, are they? We've all seen ants. The only ants that are good are the really big ones. Have you seen the big ones? They're like the size of a baby's hand. Maybe not quite that big, but the really big ones are interesting. The rest, they're just ants, aren't they? Network Rail has announced this morning train services between Oxford and Bedford are set to be brought back into use. As part of the plan, the line between Bletchley and Oxford will also be reopened. It's part of a £13 billion spend on new projects between 2014 and 2019 in what David Cameron has called, quote, the biggest modernisation of the rail network since the Victorian era. Well, John Crampton is from Network Rail and joins me now. Morning, John. Good morning. John, is there real consumer demand for this link to be re-established? I think absolutely there is, yes. There's been um, a large push over recent years for the line to be reopened um, and the government has listened to those calls and have called on us to um, to reinstate the line between Oxford and uh, and Bedford, which is a great thing for the local area. Who, who's been pushing for the line to be reopened? Well, there's the East West Rail Consortium, which is made up of um, local authorities and interested businesses who think that there's a, a need and a demand for this line to open and I think the government has agreed with them. And um, now in the, uh, the CP5 period, 20 
2014 to 2019 that's looking like becoming a reality there have been a number of other projects announced today including improvements to the thames links so uh, thames link service what will that mean for people using trains in the three counties well it's absolutely great news for people um, within three counties who will be using the, the thames link service into london it's part of our 37 billion national um, investment in the railway around 13 billion of which will benefit uh, the three counties there it means more trains it means more seats it means greater capacity it means more options it means you can travel into king's cross there's the potential to link onto the line at uh, st pancras and then travel down towards gatwick and brighton as well so it's great news more capacity more seats and i think everybody is uh, would be keen to hear that and see that happen now you mentioned big sums of money is, is the money there or is it going to mean higher rail fares no, we've asked for this money to, um, to to improve the railway. We don't set rail fares at Network Rail. That's a government policy. But what we are doing is cutting the cost of actually running the railway. So if we can cut the cost significantly, as we have done over the last decade, and as passenger numbers uh, on the railway continue to use, that provides the government with an option um, because there'll be that saving there. And what they do with that is for them. But we're certainly contributing to making the railway a more cost-efficient service. John Crampton from Network Rail, thank you very much. Well, Phil uh, Marsh is Chief correspondent at the railway magazine morning phil good morning you're excited about this aren't you i am actually because uh i was on the last train that ran over between bletchley and oxford in may 1993 near 20 years ago and in the late 1980s i was working on a project with regional railways to try and reopen the line then now the 400 million pounds that the line is uh, having spent on it would electrify between bedford and Oxford uh, as well, which brings you know huge benefits, as John Crampton just said. Now, I do a lot of driving over to Aylesbury and Oxford for various reasons, because I can't go by train. Mm. And as we know, the A34, the A421, all these roads between Milton Keynes and Oxford and Aylesbury can be very difficult. Uh, and we have to remember that the link also includes the line to Aylesbury. Uh, and as you've got the regional centre at Milton Keynes, Bedford and Aylesbury, that's going to be a fabulous link. So this, you, you think this, this will take a lot of pressure off some of those roads around that area? Uh, the clever people that work the numbers out, I don't know who they are, but they reckon it will take over a million uh, uh, car journeys off the roads annually, and that has to be a good thing. And when you think about it, from Milton Keynes you'll, and Bletchley, you'll be able to go north, south, east and west, as you will do from Princes Risborough, you know, at the edge of the area, and uh, that means, for example, you know, the local economy will benefit, as, as John Crampton said, and, and probably no more than the preserved railway at, at Chinner and Princes Risborough, who run steam trains. So you'll be able to go in five different directions uh, from Princes Risborough, for example. Phil, any idea when we will start to see these services come into effect? How long does this take? It is hoped that trains will run in 2016, which sounds a long time away, but it's four years. The line's got to be built, even though the, the old track bed is still there with some of the track left on it. The, um, that will be just about exactly 50 years after the line was shut to passenger services, even though it remained open uh, through Winslow until 1993 for various reasons, mainly that because of freight trains going to Calvert. The big problem Network Rail are going to have, and I have complete sympathy with them, because I used to have to do with them, are the objectors. People don't want trees cut down. Uh, the squirrels that you've just heard about, they'll be objecting because they won't have a playground on the railway line anymore. And then, of course, the HS2 NIMBYs. They I will probably support the East-West Rail Link, but they uh, ought to campaign for an interchange at Calvert where the lines cross each other. 
Uh, why was the line closed down in the first place, Phil? I'm assuming it's because there was a lack of demand for it. There was a lack of demand, and beaching 50 years, uh, uh, yeah, 50 years ago, almost to the month, suggested that the line needed to be shut because of economies, uh, and the line staggered on for a couple more years, and the Bedford to Bletchley line was going to shut probably 10 years after that, but because they couldn't build the buses in time to replace the rail services, that line stayed open. Um, so that's good news. Now, rail travel has boomed, as we all know. Traffic has boomed, so motorists and all taxpayers should support the opening of this line because it's just a fabulous opportunity for everybody in our area. It will benefit uh, the environment, it will benefit businesses, and it, it could well be cheaper than driving when you take all the costs. Well, will it be cheaper? Because, uh, listen, I, I, I kind of, uh, I like buses, and I like trains. I've got to get a train a couple of times this week. But I'm looking online, tickets are quite expensive. How will rail bosses convince people to get out of their cars and onto the trains? Well, uh, I, I take issue, if you walk up and buy a ticket, they can be expensive. I went from Milton Keynes to Birmingham last week, £3.50 single. Oh. And next week I've got a ticket from Stafford to Euston for £3.75. So, uh, you know, there's plenty of websites you can go and get cheap tickets on, run by the train companies. Um, some of the independent websites, like Red Spotted Hanky, mm. they will merge all the different train companies' cheap fares, so you don't need to shop around. However, even if you think of, of spending maybe 4,000 quid on an annual season ticket from Milton Keynes to Euston, what's the alternative? You drive. You've got to use the M1, the M25, and it's horrible, as, mm. you, know, as you say, in the traffic reports. Or if you're in the east of your area, say, you know, Hitchin, Stevenage, you've got to go down the A1M. And it's horrible. I used to live over that way. Phil, listen, uh, let me talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Phil Marsh. Um, well, there we go, you see. They seem to be in big uh, um, favour of it. Facebook has been very busy this morning, and they have been in a little bit of an argument, which is great. I love it. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can go there anytime uh, and leave messages up there for them. We, we all check it out. All the presenters have a little look uh, uh, now and then. We're talking about smelly bus, st- uh, bus lines. Well, Stuart Hopkirk has, has taken it one stage further. Hemel Hempstead High Street has a permanent odour, a perma-odour of stale tobacco, sweat and unwashed Philistines. Oh, Stuart, please. Very, very naughty. Um, Lisa Hunter um, talks again about Urine Man. I I gave him the polite name Urine Man. My son calls him... Oh, I can't say that on the air, Lisa. Uh, John Meeson says, If you listened to the horror stories bus drivers tell, you would never get on a bus again. And if you did, you certainly would think twice about sitting on that seat. Personal hygiene should be a requirement to part of the human, be part of the human race, let alone a requirement to use buses. Well, you say that, there's something nice, isn't there? You know when you've got like a week off work, and maybe the family are away for a couple of days, and so you've got like two or three days at home on your own, there's something nice, isn't there, about not having a shower? There is, about not washing, not brushing your teeth, wearing your PJs, your Jimmy Jams... For a couple of days in a row, not changing your underwear. There's something nice and comforting about that. And then popping down to the local SO to get yourself a pint of milk. Isn't there? Is it just me? I like that. I like... No, and sometimes there's something nice as well about... And I'm going to, you know, being a little bit smelly. There's something comforting about it. It's your natural... Not stinky. You're not like, you know, wee man, urine man. But just, you know, you feel... What's that film um, where the woman gets turned on by the smelly man? Um, Fish called Wanda. Fish called Wanda. They're constantly... And there's something about that, the, the natural feel. Forget your links, 
your Africa links or your your um, I can't think of any other deodorant names. Yet I haven't used links for 25 years. But there are other ones. Forget those. Those kind of fake smells. There's something about you know smelling au naturel, not not stinky, stinky, but you know just a little bit. Uh, Charlotte Wren. Stinky buses. I remember when pregnant with my daughter, a smelly lady, a cat one too, you can just tell. Yes, you can. She sat on the seat behind the driver. So every time the door opened and there was a breeze, it stunk to high heavens, resulting in me gagging and begging the driver to stop before a bus, stop before a bus stop to let me off. The worst one is uh, the fried chicken. And I've been on trains and on tubes. I've been in the cinema once. And someone sat just opposite, a a little bit further away from me, got some fried chicken out. That stuff stinks. You don't open fried chicken or oranges in confined spaces, okay? Because those smells are invasive. Once they get on your clothes, you're screwed. Uh, And then look, lovely, Trudy Wren and Darren Trapps are having an argument on Facebook. I'm not going to comment on it. You, You just go and have a look. They're arguing with each other. I love it. That's the beauty of it. You can carry on the ridiculous arguments we have on this show. You can carry them online. Facebook.com. Internet, calm down. It's just David Bowie. The only two good songs he's done are Changes and Dancing in the Street. David Priva, you you haven't got a clue. I'm off. I'm back tomorrow at six. You can listen to David Priva talk nonsense about how good David Bowie is. Ta-ta. Monkeys. What the monkeys ever done? Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Thank you, Ian.